Hey everybody, welcome back to The Producers. This week's episode is truly, if only by the standards of this show, legendary. It is the new longest episode. That's right, you saw that number correctly. This episode is just under three hours. Uh, this is this is Scott. This is uh, a really great conversation. Uh that actually was longer. We took a couple breaks, um, and just a good time. Um, I guess we'll jump to the plugs. Um, so Scott's plugs are come to the Johnsons whenever they are in, uh, on rather on stage. Um, you can follow them on Twitter. Uh, the links in the description. Um, and they usually post when they're going on. You can also check out other shows or shows that they're in. At rvacomedy.com, uh, social media at rvacomedy, use the hashtag rvacomedy. Um, RVA Podcast Network is the, n- I don't want to say newest plug, but uh, it's my new favorite plug because it's working. I've gotten some people who uh, want to talk about some shows. Um, and I'm very excited because this is a project that I'm very excited about doing. So, uh, looking forward to that. You can uh, check us out at RVA Podcast, rvapodcast.org, and you can email the network um, at rvapodcast at gmail.com. Uh, other plugs, check out Trash Bangs YouTube, uh, Orbital Music Park, still in the works. Um, uh, Producers Cast uh, on social media, as well as the website and the at Gmail. Mm, I don't think I'm forgetting anything. Um, hope you guys had a good Thanksgiving. Um, if you're listening to this on the day it comes out, oh yeah, this is a current plug. I forgot. I used to do these all the time because they were kind of like uh, Pete Holmesian because he would he would list all his shows and I don't really have that many shows. But um, Scott was the coach, is the coach of Detective, and Detective tomorrow night will be on stage at the Refinery at the Coalition Theater at eight o'clock. Come check it out. Um, we are really good and have a lot of fun. Uh, is that too, is that too self-indulgent? I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll also be on the, um, the refinery next week too with, uh, Bottom Shelf Whiskey, which has a lot of friends of the show, Jonathan Nelson, Sean Hambright, uh, Daniel Falarka, and Anthony Rizzo. Um, that's it. Those are the plugs. Um, enjoy, enjoy three really, really fun hours of, uh, me and Scott. Thanks so much for listening, you guys. We never, we never text, so we always like talked on Slack. And I forgot the one of the first, the first like nickname I put in my phone for you was Coach with the yellow thumbs up because you would always, you'd always message with that. Simpsons cup or Simpsons thumb. 
The Simpsons time, yeah. And then texting you about doing this, I was like, oh shit, I forgot about that. That I was coach. That <laughs> you were your coach, yeah. Or that I. What is. I'm just so curious. Oh, you brought your own glasses. Well, I didn't know if you'd have glasses. Didn't want to assume. I will just point out that I have them on, on ready. <laughs> so we could use mine if you prefer. If you don't want to do dishes later. Uh, well, it's up to you. Uh, these glasses are a gift, but if you'd like to use glasses that you know are clean, these are fresh off the shelf of a Kroger, so. Oh, wow. Gift for me? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. New new glasses for the studio. <laughs> there you I'm go. I'm so excited. Yeah. Big this, thing's, this thing's filling itself out. Good. Anthony made me that calendar. I just, actually just put that up. I'm pretty excited about it. Oh, I heard uh, Serpa and you talking about the calendar. Oh, oh my gosh. Look at this. This is. Yeah, this is this is too much uh, for home off, uh, home audiences. Uh, I'm going to force Jonathan to drink like a man. Oh my god, that's not fair to say. There are plenty of women who would love love this drink. <laughs> okay, so force what, you to drink like a uh, like a debauched bartender. Here for it. So what? What? <clears throat> just please. Uh, we've got a little Vita mezcal. I think that's what Lauren brought. I never got to it. I think it's in my fridge. Okay. Uh, and I've got more. Uh, and this is Ramazzotti. You familiar with this? No. This is an Italian Amaro. Uh, Amari are uh, Italian bitter liqueurs, uh-huh. um, which are delightful on their own. Uh, you're welcome to try them by themselves. But I like them uh, actually mixed. Uh, it's a thing I've been into recently is a, a 50-50, uh, just two spirits or a, a liqueur and a liqueur uh, mixed uh, 50-50 into uh, like a sipping shot. So we're not going to throw these back <laughs> and drink like uh, real distinguished people. Um, uh, and so Mezcal, Ramazzotti, Maserati. I'm 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 more uh, so real quick. Um, <clears throat> what's the difference between a liqueur and a liquor? Oh, good question. You've actually stumped me there. Uh, I mean, I can talk about it in general terms. I guess a liquor would be like a. Um, huh. I always thought it was just like the same thing, just said in a fancy way. No, so liqueurs tend to like I, I'm not going to be able to give you the operational definition, sure, sure. but uh, a liqueur tends to be sweeter. Uh, tends to. Um, be like flavored with um, stuff outside of like there's some sort of a grain that you use to make the spirit and then something else that you're using to flavor it versus like you know like the mezcal this is just agave I mean and it's Mm -hmm. smoked which is why it's different than tequila but um, uh, that's like all you're getting there agave Um, Amari actually are super intense they're usually I think this particular one is made with a blend of uh, they don't claim it on the bottle but I think it's like 34 different um, herbs and uh, and and such. Good lord! Yeah, you gotta bring some class to this show. <laughs> Sean brought bum wine on his episode. Yeah, I know. Well, that's why I've, you know I've I've, I've certainly I've, I've checked in on most of the Johnsons. I, I think. figured. I figured. Well, actually, it's so funny because uh, it's been a big Johnsons heavy run lately. Yeah, with Nelson Serpa and you, and uh, I think it's apropos because we're doing the live show. Right, we're building and up so, to the big finale. Basically, yeah. I don't know who I got left. I just I, I always lose track of all the, the the old wave teams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, I, you've had Nelson, you've had Hambright, you've had Serpa, you've had Schmally. Um, have you had Joe? No. Okay, so you I, got I talk to Joe about doing it. He's, yeah, he's like, ah, well, Joe gets you two, uh, <clears throat> two, uh, two for one too. You get to build out your trash bank roster. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Uh, yeah, that'll be exciting. Uh, and then uh, Alan Vollmer. 
I haven't I seen him in a while. I don't I never, know if he skipped town or what. I never met him. I think I've seen him perform. Yeah, he's a great performer. Super fun to play with. Very character heavy. It smells like jet fuel. <laughs> no, it doesn't. No, maybe it's just... What, what am I smelling? Nope, that smells better. That smells better up close. Yeah, uh, predominant flavor here is sweet orange, but amongst a... Uh, panoply of other things and uh and uh uh the greatest uh domestic lager of all time uh the kurz banquet beer thank uh that's to uh that's to uh, to wash it down i will definitely be needing ghosters yeah sure i mean look at this table it's obviously very classy right yeah yeah i'm sorry i'm i'm, I'm running to finish <laughs> let me move this onto the plastic bag here. I, uh, this was like this is a, a gift because they uh, somebody ruined it by putting a hot <laughs> on the side, so this being my, my podcast thing. Oh That's a gosh. good story. This, that, that to me that makes it a better table. As long as this isn't like your fancy, uh, you know, main service table, it, that makes it a better table in my book. It, it was for a while, but that's just the the place I am in my life. Yeah. I had to get clamps to hold the little like leaves in place. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, I, people were just banging their knees on that. All the oh time. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, cheers to you. Cheers. Slant Javon. Ooh. That's interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. I actually... Let's see. How grateful yeah. How grateful are you for the course? That's my question. How grateful? So <laughs> grateful. <laughs> after, the, uh, after the Maserati. This is good. This is... Um, <clears throat> I just watched the episode of The Office where... Michael gets handed a, a glass of twenty-year-old scotch and just chugs it, and blah, 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 like, <laughs> like I would if I if I was given put in the same situation. So yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay, let's get to Scott. Okay. Um. So you've you've been you've been listening recently ever since because I remember uh, I think it was like halfway through our detective run I was like trying to get everyone on the on the team because I was like oh I should you know finish the detective roster kind of like if I'm if I'm playing collect if I'm collecting yeah. episodes right um, that's that's an obvious one detective go if you're playing detective go mm-hmm. gotta catch them all <laughs> and I remember um, talking to you about it mm-hmm. and I was like I don't is it weird because it's always been weird to me having people who I don't know too well but I mean that's kind of the staple of the show is. Like I brought in like Ryan and Dashiell and didn't know them at all. Yeah, but also pe- people you look up to, people who are not stat- like above you in status, but but like you put them kind of above you. Yep. And you being like a, not, not just as a coach, it was like I feel like this is this is a thing, and so I think we just waited. I'm just going over the the, the story. <laughs> Yeah, so my memory of it, if I was uh, reporting this out, uh, was that, yeah, you approached me, and I was like, yeah, I would definitely be interested. And I think like a couple weeks later, or maybe a month later, you were like, all right, hey, do you want to try and schedule something? And you sent me some dates, and I was like, yeah, I don't know, I'll get back to you. Uh, and then uh, radio silence on the subject of the podcast, although definitely. we had many other pleasant conversations, uh, until what, like, yeah, like a week or two ago. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so those are the facts of the matter. The uh, I can tell you from from my head, I was in a similar place. Like there was a part of me that, um, Oh, thank goodness. There was a part of me that didn't want to do the show until after the, uh, detective run was over. Yeah. yeah. I felt the same with Serpa too. Cause I was TA her class. She specifically, cause I remember I was like, okay, well I wasn't taking, I wasn't like doing class with her. So I like set up the episode and everything. And that thing was sitting in my queue for like two months, two, three months. Um, she was slated to be number 52 mm-hmm. and that was putting her out a month. And this is, 
65 now, so it right. was a while. But yeah, um, no, I'm glad we waited. I'm glad that Detective... Well, I guess that's... I guess that's, I don't talk much about Detective, I kind of realized. Yeah. Um, what a great run. I had a really fun time, and I thought you guys did great work. I was uh, I was both delighted to uh, spend the time with you guys and um, and super proud to get to stand up there and say that uh, I had some part in it. Oh, speaking of Bob, it's so funny that if you're listening to this on the day it comes out, tomorrow we have a show. Thursday, right? Thursday, yeah. That's... This comes out on Wednesday. Oh, fair. Okay, sorry. I'm not on the broadcast schedule yet. Yeah, right. Yeah, fair. Yeah. That's crazy. Oh, my gosh. It's, the synchronicity is blowing my mind. So, um, it, it seems it seems weird to say, what was, like, your favorite detective story when it was, like, something that happened in the past year? But, like... Okay, so, I feel like I want to go back further yet. I want to start here. I want... I want. So, you decided you wanted to coach. Mm-hmm. And I remember, actually, you were telling me... Uh, you were telling us, like, I wasn't sure if I wanted to coach this time or, like, the next time. Oh, I was sure that I didn't want to coach the first run. The first run? Okay. I wanted to coach the second run. And Katie was like, yeah, how about you coach the first run? And uh, I'm too polite to say no to Katie. So. <laughs> um, I remember, yeah. Uh, I remember hearing that and being like, we got lucky because... Uh, I don't know. I just like I love the way it all worked out because we had such a great team. But um, yeah. So what, what, what was it like um, bringing bringing it to a creative place, which has been my goal lately? Um, co- coaching mm-hmm. a creative kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that you would say more often than not is uh, like that wasn't a wrong move, but here's another way to do it. That's mm-hmm. that was a big approach for you. I want to know if there's more to it in your head. Uh, I mean, if there's a general note there uh, and a reason that I was interested in coaching is like I've had my best success creatively uh, as a collaborator. Uh, I haven't done a whole lot just on my own. Sure. Um, so. Uh, like that's why I'm interested in improv. That's a big part of why I'm interested in improv in the first place. And then coaching. Um, I mean, one of the things I love about the theater is it sort of like nurtures creative people. Um, uh, it was sort of, I'll just speak for myself. Uh, it nurtured me in a way that like made me a lot more productive than I probably would have been otherwise. Uh, I never, when I started, I didn't think I had a shot at making a house team. Um, and then I made a house team. And then when Patrick asked me if I wanted to teach a class, like that was huge. I didn't think that would ever happen. Um, uh, and then when I did teach, I found it, I found it very rewarding and in an in, in enjoyable way to, to pass the time and to like grow my own, uh, knowledge and, 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 uh, and theory of, of improv. Um, so then coaching, um, was interesting to me because it was, uh, you know, I had taught enough classes that I was kind of, um, like the novelty of teaching had worn off and, um, uh, I was excited to be in that capacity to be like a facilitator and a, uh, and a teacher and a, and a director without the strictures of the material because, um, I mean, it was, it, it, it was both nice and, um, uh, uh, frustrating in the class in the class. I would have to say that, I mean, in 301, um, uh, you're trying to teach a very specific skill set, and it's not a natural skill set for most people. Some people it clicks right away, but most people that's difficult. Yeah. The group work pattern work stuff, um, is, is pretty new and a different way to think about improv. Um, so like very often my note was like, what you did there was fine improv. Uh, that's great. 201 work. That's even maybe great 401 work, but it's not 301 and 301 specifically what we're working on. So let me rein you in. So like being able to coach, 
outside of those uh, strictures was interesting to me. And I like specifically, like I didn't have, um, I feel like a lot of uh, the people that I've talked to about coaching um, have like have wanted to do it because they have a very specific vision. Like they've been frustrated on teams and ensembles that they've been a part of like Mm -hmm. that, like the group wasn't willing to go in a, in a direction that they were interested in. And so they were, you know, like really excited to like take a rudder and and hold it fast in a, in a specific direction. And that was not it for me. Like I was really interested in like, uh, like throwing a bunch of people together. And I, and I hoped, I think we got pretty lucky. Like there was a fair amount of like people who, hadn't performed together before that there were some folks who had, but like across the board, there were some, some, some new dynamics there. And then, and like just helping that shape what it wanted to be, like making it its best version of itself versus making it something that I like envisioned ahead of time. That's interesting to hear you explain that. And then like, look back on the time. Mm-hmm. Cause I remember, um, <clears throat> for like a week and then I like, I, decided I'm going to be an adult and let it go. But I, for a week, I got real frustrated that, like, there was no format kind of thing. Yeah. And it wasn't frustrated to anybody else. It was just like, I feel like I, I need this structure. And then once it kind of became obvious that that was never going to be a thing that we kind of do, <laughs> I was like, okay, I can I can swim in this pool kind yeah. of thing. And then we kind of got a little bit of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then having having that to hold on to, like, okay, this is something. Yeah, I felt that frustration from 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 many people on the team. And, like, I mean, some people, like, straight up said, like, you need to direct us more. Like, we yeah. want you to set it to, to carve a path. And, like, I guess, like, having been on the other side of the table and being, like, a, a naturally, like, anxious, anxious person myself, like, I totally get that. Like, if I was on the team I probably would have wanted. I mean, like, and Gantz was not like trying to achieve a, a vision, but he was very excited. Um, you know, he drafted when he drafted the Johnsons, he drafted a lot of um, people that he was impressed with in 301. Yeah. And so he was excited to have a team that would um, do that stuff because it's just not, not, not as many people gravitate to it. You don't see people hitting pattern in game as heavy as we did in the Johnsons, yeah, yeah. at least in the Richmond scene. I can't speak for a lot of the other scenes. Um, but so, you know, Gantz did provide a pretty strong direction. Um, and so like, and I, and, and I, like I, I've, I've wondered, I wondered at the time and I, and I, you know, I still do wonder if I, you know, like, I mean, <laughs> you know this and everybody on detective knows this, but like, I do believe it's always a dynamic thing. Like yeah. there's no, it's not right to be ironclad and it's not right to be totally flexible. It's somewhere in the middle and it probably changes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, I mean, I, I just, I wonder how well I, I rode that, that wave. I'd say the thing, I'd say speaking just for myself because it was my first real team. Yeah, I think I well, probably walked in with like I have an expectation, and then I was quickly like I said I was like I needed to drop that because that's not how you join a team. That's how you that's how you start a specific. That's how you hold that rudder kind of thing. Like I have this. Thing. So with detective, I think once everyone did that and was like we have fun playing together and go from there like that, that would, that was the thing. It was like, Oh, this is how this works. And once, well, I think once everyone got on board, then it was like perfect. Yeah. And, and I would say like, as a, as a, uh, theorist, um, I think it was always going to be, there was always going to be friction. If it was me setting up a vision and getting you guys to fit to that, mm-hmm. there would have been friction there. Like you might've been relieved at first, 
that like there was a definite goal versus I can understand how it's frustrating to not have a definite goal. Like, Hey, we're just going to figure out where this goes. Um, but like, then once we started down that path, like, you know, the things that we would have had to like squeeze and sand and and polish and stuff like those would, the frustration would have come there versus Mm -hmm. like the way that we did it. You know, the frustration came with like, we were all kind of lost for a while, but, and like, and I will say like, that's, I, I would put a vote in for my style because I think that's, one of the things, you know, I'll do this a million times tonight. Um, uh, you guys talked about it with Serpa. I'll quote Gantz, but like, there are things. <laughs> that's my next thing. <laughs> there are things that are good in improv because it's improv, and I think that's one of them. Is like, I I don't think a team is great until they like repeatedly get lost together and save each other and realize that that's a thing that they can rely on each other to do and like to and and like when a team becomes great is when they deliberately go get lost yeah and then find their way back that that is definitely something i i think i probably didn't realize i realized was being on a team in this creative aspect like yeah that was the fun was getting lost and then getting back Mm -hmm. getting lost again and i can tell I, i i we did that we did that in practices we did that in sets we did that as a the whole thing right like i can just think of all the different Things and I also do having you on. I feel like this is the appropriate time to say this. Uh, Detective did the Instagram page first. Okay? Yeah, for for the for the well, Johnson's had the Twitter. That's fine. I don't think you guys have a. I I, I, I I mean, first of all. Note one, God bless Lauren Serpa. Like oh, to the extent that we had any social media presence, it's because of Lauren Serpa. And well, no, I'll say Lauren Serpa ran the Twitter, um, and she was uh, solid on Twitter. And then it was sort of a team effort between her and Hambright on uh, on Facebook. I don't yeah. think we ever did much on Instagram. If well, we did, I think um, when you guys were, I don't say in your heyday, but like the main the prime, not my prime. Uh, when it was newer, mm-hmm. Instagram wasn't as popular. Right. And so I, I feel like I have to, since I said that, I have to get credit. Anthony was the one, the big push behind it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yes, let's go. I was like right behind. I'm like, yeah, let's do it. And uh, now every single uh, new house team has an Instagram page. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And I'll credit Anthony too with like doing content that wasn't just, um, hey, we're on tonight. Yeah. Um, uh, who wore it best? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, which was a fun gimmick in and of its own. But I also, like, even stepping back from that was just like a, oh, right, like something like, like, I don't know, I've heard a million web douches talk about this stuff, but like, you need, like, people, like, why should somebody follow your Instagram? Like, yeah. just so they, like, just so you can tell them what they could learn by going to rviacomedy.com. Like, like, give them something to engage with. And so, yeah. um, that, yeah, he was the first one that I saw. I'm sure, yeah, there's a lot of socially savvy people, uh, in the theater, but that's the first one that I witnessed. And then I think the only other one that came out of that run was Rodeo did one, like, at the end. Yeah. And then they did a Facebook and then, oh, Kale. Did you ever see that Facebook account? The um, Rodeo one? I saw, like, is Facebook where he was posting those, the like, sort of, of like, yeah, like yeah. the all caps, like, inspirational rants? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. That was so That good. guy fascinates me. I have not yeah. listened to his episode of the podcast yet. I need to do that's that. That's a good one. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. He's one of my favorite people. Um, so, yeah, that you mentioned it, uh, which is one of my favorite things. Um, all the Gantz quotes mm-hmm. that are... Some in in my mind, partially sometimes the Scott quotes, mm-hmm. and then I say them to people, <laughs> and then they might attribute it to me, like one of the, the, my students or whatever. 
which sounds douchey to say because I was a TA. But like, uh, but yeah, so like, it's so funny because I'll say something and Lauren's like, oh, it's Gantz. And I'm like, oh, I thought it was Scott kind of thing. And it's really funny. I call it the Gantzian. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I forget the exact term. It was a lot better. But it was something Gantzian, which is a phrase I really want to push. And I have a lot of support. Yeah. Um, what, what I think you should call it is the Gantzian dialectic. Because that makes it sound fancy. Coined. Officially coined. Yeah, there you go. No, one, no one's going to jump on that before Wednesday. That makes it sound like Marxist or something. It's good. Mm-hmm. Gancy, do you think he do you think he he would appreciate that? I think he'd be tickled. Tickled. <laughs> yeah. I don't I don't know how to get to Gantz. <laughs> <laughs> he's a uh, you know like he's always been a busy guy. Um, he's. Uh, uh, um, like that, one of the reasons I feel slightly kindred to Gantz is like he's like kind of a like, and I don't mean this in any kind of disparaging way. I'm insanely jealous of you guys that are younger. Um, but like you know, Gantz and I are sort of across this divide of like we've got like grown up stuff going on. I mean, Gantz has a kid now. Forgot, yeah, and yeah. that was going to be my big point is like um, he's he's a busy guy. Not because he like I would just say like don't take a uh, a lack of response or a lack of interest <laughs> from Gantz as like he doesn't want to do it. He's probably just busy, um, oh, yeah. which is usually the case for me. Sometimes I'm just being a, a broody jerk, but most of the time it's just because I'm busy. Um, but like. Uh, because uh, there and and I had a brief window of this. Like when I first started with the theater, I could really throw my whole self at it um, uh-huh. and spend three or four nights a week at the theater. And I and like I still envy that ability. Like I've been around not forever, but long enough now that like. Like, if I had just stayed a a crazy bachelor, I probably would have ridden this way four or five times of, like, stepping back a little bit and then going in hot and heavy. But, like, like, I genuinely, like, if I wanted to go hot and heavy in the theater now, and, like, very often I do, and, like, it would mean, like... I mean, there's a great, like, there's a bunch of people that I quote, like, um, as much as I quote Gantz. um, uh, And another guy that I quote, Merlin Mann, said... um, and I think it's it, this happens much more when you get on this this side of this divide that I'm describing, but not sure, sure. naming. Is um, at some point priorities become a lot more about what you say no to than what you say yes to. At some point, priorities become more about what you say no to than what you say yes to. And what I mean, like, so specifically in that case, like, there are weeks and months when I would love to be at the theater four nights a week. And then, like, hearing you guys talk about stand-up, like, um, I would love to uh, to dive in that and, and try it out. Um, but it seems to... Uh, if not require like strongly suggest like a level of commitment where you're doing it several times a week and, uh, and stuff like that. And that would mean saying no to a lot of things. Uh, you know what I mean? It's not just like, like, you know, when you're young and you have uh, nothing going on, not to say nothing, but use me as an example. I spend, right. You got your job. I have my job and then nine to five, which I mean, and you're already, so you're like edging up to that, that divide, like, which is something that I wanted to talk to you about. Like having heard your podcast is like you, it's funny, like, so I, I like the little bit that I've uh, uh, gleaned about you. Um, I know that you worked in a restaurant in New Orleans, which was on the Eater 38. Oh, really? What is the Eater 38? Uh, so there's a website called Eater, and for most major cities, New Orleans is an example, they have what they call the Eater 38, which is a list of the 38... Um, 
it's 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 38 restaurants that they say you should go to and it's a great collection because like it's some high-end places and it's like the best taco stands and like everything in between right so like i don't know if it still is but you said and it is it called a thousand spices figs a thousand figs right so a thousand like what you know like i'm a huge fan of new orleans Uh, yeah yeah my quote about new orleans this one is self-generated my quote about new orleans is self-generated first time i've uh 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 quoted myself um not the last, I hope. <laughs> um, but uh, I've not not that I've been everywhere, but I've been a few places. I've been to L.A., San Francisco, Seattle, Baltimore, New York, Philadelphia. Um, uh, I, actually, this changed just recently. Uh, this changed last weekend. Um, but until last weekend, New Orleans was the only place. Like every other place that I've been to, I've been like, this is great. Really glad I came. Wouldn't want to live here. Really? New Orleans was the first place I was like, oh, I could live here. Oh, really? Except New Orleans might kill me, but. New Orleans would definitely kill you. I've worked at, uh, I haven't seen A Thousand Figs. Okay. And, and, but but I, I worked at Commander's Palace. Okay. Yeah. yeah that's, which, is, which is on there. I, uh, the current one. Yeah. I've not been to Commander's Palace, but that makes sense. Because Commander's Palace is a New Orleans institution. Like, it's up there with, um, I'm going to forget. Is it? Salatois. Well, yeah, Galatoire's is another one, but what's the one in the um, the Lower Ninth, the fried chicken place, Sunday suppers? Is it? I, I want to call it Willa Jean, but I think Willa that's Mays? a yeah, Willa yeah, Willa Mays. Mays, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but oh yeah, so the other thing about the thirty eight, the Eater Thirty Eight is it's uh, it's refreshed quarterly, like quarterly they change it up. Um, so I mean, Commander's Palace will probably always be on there, yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, a place like a Thousand Figs is yeah probably going to come on. You know. So what you, you were saying that yeah oh yeah, so you worked at a Thousand Figs, which is a place on the Eater Thirty Eight. I we tried to go there and it was closed the day that we went. Um, oh, you were there on Sunday, I bet. <laughs> uh, that's very possible. Um, but so like, and I am um, I have like a burning desire to work in hospitality, um, specifically the restaurant business. Um, and so like, uh, having been a guy that has been doing the nine to five corporate thing for, uh, God, 15 years now. Uh, and I'm at a place where I really kind of hate it. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's interesting to me. Like part of it, like part of me is like, maybe there's something I'm from getting or like, I'm, I'm sure there's a, I'm, all I've ever done in my life, work-wise, is I did four years in the Marine Corps out of high school, mm-hmm. uh, and then I've been in corporate America ever since. Yeah. Um, and so, and I, you know, I mean, I talk to people in service industry all the time um, that are like, and I see people like you all the time that are like, oh my god, like nine to five, like regular hours. I get holidays, I get weekends. Like yeah. this is great. Um, and I'm like, man, but the rest of the time, forty hours a week, if you're lucky you're just like in this gray zone of nothing. Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, I was interested in in picking at you about like, uh, how you are liking, how are you finding the trade-offs of corporate America versus, uh, well, so the the thing that sucks is at the time I was a full-time college student. Right. So I went to school during the day and then went to, uh, work in the evening. Mm Mm-hmm. I just like to say for the record, uh, I thought I was going to have to force the Maseratis down Jonathan's throat, but he's drinking it of his own volition, and he killed it, I think, a little quickly so that he could get in on a uh, re-up. <laughs> I'm very proud of you. I, I didn't think you I, – I honestly, I thought I was going to give you these bottles, and they were going to sit and collect dust on your shelf. Oh, uh, I don't think I'll let them do that. <laughs> Good. But uh, – <clears throat> oh, the double pour. <laughs> I, uh, I, I don't tell any of my bartender friends. <laughs> Is that not allowed? <laughs> you should be jiggering these. You should jigger everything. It's important to have standards. Sorry, did I? And Chipotle napkins. 
No, actually, it's so funny. Lori spilled a beer on this table. You can kind of see where it's shiny and where it's not on this side. <laughs> I don't know if she cleaned it or damaged it, but I'm about it. I need to do that again. Um, right, so trading uh, the vagabond life for the... Uh, for the corporate life. Well, so that's one of the things... I think I talked to a Serper about it. I definitely talked to Sean about it. <clears throat> where it's like, when... When you are a creative type, mm-hmm. and you do any kind of work... My job requires no creativity. Right. The only creativity that goes into the job is the custom spreadsheet that I made because I love making spreadsheets and mm-hmm. I needed something to do. Right. Because I'm like, fuck this. <laughs> um, so uh, I love it only because, like you said, all the, the holidays, the this, the money, mm-hmm. um, and also that it doesn't drain on my creative regularly because, as you kind of mentioned, I'm in full throw myself at the theater. Right. I'm there. I actually, <clears throat> I have this app, and this has almost become a thing that people know about now, that tracks, like, my location and will, like, tell me basically what I did that day. Okay. Um, Is this exist.io or something else? On iOS. Uh, oh, there's an app called Exist.io. Oh, that no, no, no. This is Life Cycle. Okay. So in 2017, from February, which I wasn't at the theater then, to the end of the year, I spent 109 hours at the theater. Solid. Honestly, not that much. Because when I go back to January of the new year, because I, don't, I, don't, I can't get stats for 2018 until it's over. Mm-hmm. So 19 hours, January, February, 37. Uh, March, 50. Mm-hmm. Uh, April, 30. Uh, May, 46. June 64, July 37, okay, August 63, September 81, October 69, November TBD. I have <clears> spent <throat> way more time at the theater, and it's like yeah. four, five days. Actually, I can do this. This is just, this is what I just, I love this, but like, it's so, it's so true what you were saying, and I so love it. And so all these orange circles are days that I was at the theater. Right. And it's a lot. That's yeah, like most days. For, yeah, for the viewers at home, it's a uh, it's like a, a yeah. month view of a calendar, and and like probably sixty seventy percent of those days are orange. I would say seventy, In, indicating that he was at the theater. I was yeah. at the theater. Um, yeah, and it's so fun. And but then I think about it, and I'm like, I don't really have anything else. I'm not saying no to anything else, mm-hmm. which is totally what your point is. Right. I don't have a significant other. Mm-hmm. I. All the people that I know in the city are from the theater. Mm-hmm. Um, that's pretty much it. I mean, that's, that's. I guess yeah. So like, if, the one thing I would dig in there is, um, I get the thing of like, you know, like you talked about with Hambride, like he works at a job that it, that sometimes yes. is tapping his creative. So if we think of, if if we assume that. Um, um, as he is in economics and trade policy and immigration policy, that Donald Trump is right about this as well, uh, in that we have energy reserves that can be depleted. Uh, and that, uh, uh, so you have this creative reserve. And if you use some of it at your job, then it's unavailable at the theater. Uh, then it makes sense to have a job. Please, sorry, I just want to, I hate that I have to do this, but that was all sarcasm. Um, <laughs> uh, <coughs> um, uh, they already turned it off. <laughs> um, make the theater great again. Um, uh, oh gosh! Uh, but no, so I see that. Except, like, my pushback on that is like, um, so here's what I romanticize, and like, I, and not to say like I'm sure I'm wrong on some level, and if I was on the other side of this divide, I'm sure I'd be speaking the other way. But um, having been in corporate America for 15 years, I feel like sitting at my desk. 
and doing stuff that is not creative and not energetic and not physical uh, puts me in sort of a funk that's hard to get out of to sure. do creative things versus like, like, so what I romanticize about the working in a kitchen or working in a bar or something like that is like, at least I'd be moving and I'd be like the kitchen, you know, cause everybody says like the kitchen's not the place to be creative. Like, you know, the kitchen, like the thing restaurants are selling is not creativity. The, it, the primary thing that restaurants are selling is not creativity. The primary thing that restaurants are selling is consistency. Yeah. There's one guy who gets to be creative sometimes, and yeah. everybody else just has to execute that perfectly, repeatedly, yep. night after night after night. A and lot of the time. I understand why that sounds like hell to some people, but to me, as you know, like one of the douchebags that watched Jiro Dreams of Sushi 20 times, like part of that is deeply appealing to me. Sure. I will say that, um, so one of the things that does go into that, and I feel like this, we're like on the edge of like the I don't care how far away we get but like mm-hmm. we're right on the edge of like being relevant to what the show's supposed to be about sure um, depends on your team so like yep. I've worked a bunch of restaurant jobs right and the only one I loved was Figs because they had such a good team there I was right. working next to like mm-hmm. best friend and then my boss was just like one of the greatest dudes and his wife who also like they ran the restaurant together mm-hmm. they were amazing all the uh, servers front of house everything was so nice so it made it really fun to be there and then um, once you do I don't want to say master but like once you are able to produce that consistency mm-hmm. um, it gets easier and then eventually right. it becomes kind of second nature and then it does get kind of fun and you do feel, you, you, you puff your chest out because like I just fed 200 people yep. in six hours or whatever right. by myself mm-hmm. and he was doing other things but like um, yeah I think about that it was definitely one of my most pleasant and then I sit at my desk and then like <laughs> Yeah, and here's the thing. Like, so I, I, I've, uh, well, I've not not specifically in the restaurant business, but I've experienced the flip side, like the implied flip side of what you're talking about is yeah. like a team that doesn't work. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And even then, like, this is why I romanticize it. Like, in, in, because in the restaurant, you're in a, you're in this situation where it's like, if this isn't working, like, we're gonna have to deal with it. Like, yeah. it's we're not gonna be able to like gloss over it. We can't pause the restaurant while we figure it out. Right, exactly. So um, maybe one of the most prophetic things that I ever said, um, uh, like I I said it at the time not knowing if it was true, and it has only proven to be more true since I said it. So, you know, I went to to high school, um, and then I went to the Marines, and uh, while I was in high school, I did a little bit of drama. I wasn't like a big drama kid, but I I did a couple of plays and really liked it. I did just enough that... um, I went back to my high school maybe a year after I joined the Marines. I was home, um, and uh, they were doing – it was Night of One Acts, um, uh, and uh, I went to go check it out. And they – I think – I don't know if every theater does this. I feel like a lot of high school theaters do this. They have this – before the show – Everybody, the whole cast and crew does at TJ, they called it circle where they all sit in a circle. Uh, and in this particular instance, you cross your hands across your body so that you're anyway, like you cross your hands across your body and you hold hands with the people to the left and right of you. And everybody takes turns talking. Um, and like, <clears throat> like the first time having been there a year out of high school, like hearing all these people talk about their petty, petty, petty dramas. Um, I, I, 
like you would think that I would have been uh, like like disenchanted or like frustrated with like oh you guys don't know anything like I you know spent three days without sleep and no food trying to figure out how to like tear down machine guns while I was uh, walking through the mud um, but I was I was honestly delighted um, and and when it, and um, I think you know for dramatic effect uh, I was later in the circle and so when it came around to me I said hey I understand some of you guys are having a really bad time. Um, and I know that that's absolutely true for you. Um, uh, when you're in high school, everything is either great or terrible. Like there's nothing like nothing's like, okay. Like you're either like on top of the world or like it's never been worse. And I was like, when you get out of here, like all of that gets compressed. Like, like the, the amount of great that things are is, is compressed and the amount of terrible that things are is, is compressed. And that sounds better from where you are, but it's not, yeah. it's better when things are great or terrible. Yeah. Um, and so like, that's where I like, like when, when you talk about like the kitchen, it's like, oh yeah, like working in the kitchen is great when it's great, but when it's not, it's terrible. And it's like, yeah, but I would take terrible over boring. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot about, um, and this is specific to me, like, but when, when, I'm, when I'm like in a relationship or talking to somebody, like I feel those more extremes that are compressed. But like that, that's a moment where like they're no, they're no longer compressed, mm-hmm. and it's like yeah, this sucks, or yeah, this is I, maybe I'm going a little too like happy with it. But like how often, like you said, how often do I get to feel these things? Right. Like it's it's I, I sit at a desk for eight hours and I eat lunch at my desk. Like yep. come on, like let me let me feel this. Right. Well, and like to the point, like and I mean, don't get me wrong, like. I, uh, um, like my driving motivations are like generalized anxiety disorder and wanting to be a people pleaser. Um, so like I am like terrified of conflict. Um, but like I, you know, I've been through it enough times now to know that like, it's way better to like have this whole thing go to shit and you and I call each other motherfuckers for 10 minutes (laughs) and then figure it out from there. Then to spend four weeks trying to figure out how to subtly stab each other in the back so that one of us doesn't get a raise next quarter. You know, like I'm just like, fuck it, man. Like, let's fight. Like, (laughs) you know, like, yeah, I'd rather do that. (laughs) Yeah. That sounds more fun. That's more of the extreme. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like a lot of like staying on this, like corporate versus, yeah, uh, I guess non-corporate mm-hmm. uh, train of thought. Like, yeah, we do a lot of things so that that doesn't happen. Like, I could very easily like leave my job and then just go find uh, like a shitty job and another shitty job, and then like I'll find gigs where I get to do what I'm really passionate about, right? And I get to experience the lows and then the couple of highs when I get like a gig that I want to do or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, and then maybe, you know, work my way towards that. But like, that's so scary. We, we, we look to the safety of the desk kind of thing. Yes. Right. And I guess like my only point is like, and I wouldn't tell you like, give up your desk job for, uh, working at a coffee shop or bar <laughs> and then maybe getting to do some I know, like, yeah, audio gigs. I know nobody gets paid. I know, like, I know that's a thing. Like it's, you know, I, because I'm so into it, I know a couple of people in the restaurant <laughs> business and any, anytime I'm like, Oh, you know, I'd really like to do what they do. You do like, they're like, man, first of all, it's a young person's game. You're already way too old. Yeah, come um, on on Wednesday night. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's like, nobody gets paid, man. Like nobody oh, yeah. gets paid. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Oh yeah. So all to say, like, I'm not saying quit your day job, but I am saying like, understand the trade-offs, like, uh, like don't forget what you did that day job for. And like, I mean, you're doing it right now, right? Like you're, like you said, you're at the theater more nights than not. Um, yeah. Like just make sure that like you, I mean, you're trading, uh, 
a work environment that doesn't crush your soul. You're like you are signing up to go to a work environment that does crush your soul somewhat. Um, uh, so that you have like the reliable schedule and the uh, financial security, uh, so that you have like regular free time to do creative stuff. And yeah. like, so just like fucking make sure you do creative stuff. Like don't play, don't, don't squander that time. Don't play FIFA on your couch. Don't play FIFA. <laughs> you don't seem like a FIFA on your couch guy, but like, don't do it. I will say that the today was the first weekday where I did just kind of sit on my on my desk and just like watch the office and m- mindlessly play Minecraft because yeah. I'm like I don't want to pay attention I just want to fuck around and not not think of anything uh, I don't get to do that very often because I am so like, enveloped in the creative things mm-hmm. that getting to do that's like a reward mm-hmm. oh no and don't get me wrong like um, that is good to do um, once in a while that is the um uh, spending your time equivalent, like that's that that is the schedule that that that's using your time like eating a cheeseburger. Like I would never tell you don't eat a cheeseburger ever again in your life. I would never say that. Like of course, like eat a fucking cheeseburger and yeah. enjoy the shit out of it. But don't eat a cheeseburger seven days a week. Definitely not. Uh, Alton Brown, one of my uh, uh, my uh, you're so quotable. <laughs> Um, uh, he was my Gantz from like 2002 <laughs> to 2000. What's my Gantz? No fucking lie, dude. Um, yeah, dude, like somebody, it. like, like, you know, my Gantz hasn't always been Gantz, but I've always had a Gantz. Always it, had a Gantz. Um, yeah, uh, I've always had a Gantz. for coining. Yeah. And if you don't have a Gantz, get a fucking Gantz. Get a Gantz. Um, uh, um, Gantz. Oh, that's what's going to say. Yeah. Cause I know I've heard you say many times that you are, um, uh, that you were uh, influenced by Pete Holmes, like even just starting this project and how you approach this project, you were, and it, like totally support that. But somebody asked you if you listen to Marin, and you said you haven't listened to Marin. Yep. And I would say like do a little Marin sampler. Um, and I was th- I was actually listening think- to my Gans's Gans. <laughs> no, well, partly. I mean, like yes. Although it was, <laughs> I forget five things. I wish I had brought a notepad. I thought about bringing a notepad. Anyway, um, do you want a notepad? No. Um, you got this. Yeah. Um, uh, okay, so let me take it all the way back. I, I was going to say, my Gantz before Gantz, a few, several Gantzes before Gantz was Alton Brown. Uh, I got out of the Marine Corps and I had like nothing going on. I was like working a Joe job and I didn't really have any like passions or interests or anything like that. Like I didn't know what was going on. And I literally watched Food Network for like three years. And that's how I got interested in cooking. Yeah. And like, that's like, um, that's how I got started cooking. Like, that's what gave me the, the interest and like the, and like, um, I, I so anyways, it was Alton Brown, like, and you know, he's the Mr. Wizard of the kitchen. Um, he, he like broke it down to science. He was like, I'm not going to teach you recipes because, uh, teaching you recipes is like teaching you a song. Um, I'm not going to, I could teach you a song and you would be able to play that song, but I'm not going to teach you a song. I'm going to teach you chords and then you're going to yeah, make, make your, your own, own song. song. Exactly. Um, uh, I don't remember why I brought up Alan Brown, uh, but uh, everybody should have a Gantz. See, should have a Gantz. Now it's all falling apart. Um, no, you, we got this still. Yeah, yeah. Um, you were talking about one of the things you got into was Alan Brown's. Oh, right. Okay. Well, I can I can, I can at least pick that thread back up. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because I was going to say, like, uh, <laughs> one thing, and I've literally heard people make fun of Mark Marin. Like, this is such a thing for Mark Marin that this is, like, a way that people make fun of Mark Marin is, like, one of his bits. Like, one of one of his cliches is, uh, who are you guys? Who are you guys? And you should be able to answer that question. You should be able to answer that question. Who are you who, guys? Who are you guys? Yeah. 
And there's like, uh, you know, I mean, like, let's not make it, uh, 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 let's not uh, reinforce the uh, patriarchy, like guys meaning uh, people. Who are the people you look up to? Yeah, exactly. Like, who gets you fired up? Like, who do you like? Oh, I wish I was that guy, you know? Oh, oh, so it's not even like mentors. It's more like. It can be mentors. Right. But some of them, it's like, like everything else, right? It's a spectrum. Like some of them, it's like, that is a person that I could be. And I want to figure out how I can be more like that person. And then some people it's like, and this, I, this, the, the more I have learned about Alton Brown, this has been true of me and Alton Brown, which is like, I don't think I would like hanging out with Alton Brown. I don't yeah. think Alton Brown is a guy that I would like to have a beer. Well, I'd probably like to have a beer with him, but like, I don't several beers or over several nights kind of thing. Yeah, but I don't want to be Alton Brown. Oh, like okay. the more that I've learned about him as a per, like his persona is very slick and very produced. Sure. Um, but I, and like the more I've learned about him, like sort of behind the camera, it's like, I don't, I don't want to be him, but it's like, but there's things that I respect about him. So like, what, like, you know, so like, there's, there's people that's like, man, if I could be that guy, I would just be that guy. So, and I would do it. I would take everything, like all the bad parts and all the good parts. And then there's some people it's like, I don't like that guy, but I like the way he walks. Yeah. How does like he walk? That thing. What can I do to make my walk more like his walk? Yes. I don't want to talk like that guy, but I want to walk like him. Yeah. Okay. You know? And so that kind of thing. Like I, I, just, I you know, my dad was like, I asked my dad how to, how, uh, for his beef stew recipe one time and greatest answer ever. He was like, every guy should make his own beef stew recipe. Wouldn't, Ooh. wouldn't give it to me. Uh, yeah. So like in the same vein as like every guy should have his own beef stew recipe. It's like, everybody should know their guys. Like, who are your guys? Who are your guys? That's so, that's such a, yeah. damn, that. That's a, that, I don't know if we hit all the threads, but that's a good, that's a good. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to steal this. I'm going to steal the show for five minutes. Cause I'm Please. curious about you. We spent some time together, but there are things I don't know that I'm I curious about. I always say, uh, don't try to host the show. Cause I'll let you. Yeah. That's a Pete Holmes thing. <laughs> yeah, that's a Pete Holmes. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. Uh, yeah, but I am. Yeah, but no. So yeah, you're going to let me uh, do it. I, I will be mindful not to uh, make the rest of the show about you. But um, and actually, I have a, a good way to to bring it back to me. But um, yeah, so like you strike me. I haven't heard you say this definitively, but you're you play guitar. Yep. You do um, the Crying Boys. What's your? That's the the, uh, the improv comedy. Duo. It, it is the Crying Boys. Did yeah. I write them? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you you play guitar on stage. You you perform musically. Although you know as part of a comedy. Bit. So like you strike me as somebody who's interested in music. Absolutely. Yeah. I have uh, in my bedroom right now. I have like a little board and like all my guitars in there. Cool. All right. Yeah. So musically, who are you guys? Who are my guys musically? Yeah. 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 Like who? Oh my gosh. Um, Number one guy, Patrick Stump. I've heard the name, but I don't know him. He's the lead singer of Fall Out Boy. Okay, yeah, then I do know. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely one of my favorite people. Okay. Um, uh, I've looked up to him. He's he's the reason I got into music. Okay. Um, literally, he made uh, one, of their, one of their most famous songs, Dance Dance. Uh, the, the opening drums to that, it's just like this little thing. And it just like captivated me, just how catchy it was. Mm-hmm. And then it turned into wanting to play the drums, and then, and then finding a keyboard that had drum sounds, and then hearing more songs. And then I found a good. I, I, I actually um, stumbled into guitar taking classes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I needed an extra class. That was the class. Took it, loved it. Yeah. Uh, spent the next three years only playing covers of that band. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I started to get out a little more. Uh, Caleb Followell of Kings of Leon. Okay. Most notable, um, definitely only notably. He, uh, just the way they write songs, mm-hmm. it's so easy for them. Because mm-hmm. they're, like, they're like all brothers or cousins or whatever. And they like, 
they just they do they do so much with basically nothing. They pick like a couple chords and then just some riffs and they turn it into this whole thing. And that to me has always been very inspiring. Great example of the uh, better to have it be great or terrible because apparently, like I, the, the little I know about Kings of Leon, I think I, they've had some like they're they're like almost Kinks esque in that they've had some like knockdown drag out. Is that not true? What what do you mean by knockdown drag out? Like I've heard that there's been like internal conflict in that band at times. Oh, hell yeah. Right, right. So again, like, right. Like, uh, and you know, Keith Richards and Mick Jagger have alternately loved and hated each other. Uh, John Lennon and Paul McCartney, um, were, you know, like very frustrated to work with each other. Caleb, Caleb Falwell plays the most beautiful guitar. Mm -hmm. It's a 1972 Gibson ES325. Okay. Brown maple. Is that a semi hollow? I don't know if he's a semi or full. I haven't looked into it. But he's got the F holes. It's one of the. It's the yep. big round guitar. Yeah, it has, has one hole because the bottom one. Just the F hole. Yeah. Just the way they. The way that the. the Pick card. Yeah. So I actually have bought a knockoff Aldega. That's yeah. the same. Uh, same year, different color. Yeah. Which I the color I wish was different, but. Um, yeah. Okay. So I'll get. Oh, I want to touch on that too. Yeah. Uh, what, when I was first buying pedals and when I was first getting like guitars, it was like. Uh, one of the things I stumbled upon was like, well, buy what your heroes play. So uh, the first guitar I got was an SG, because that's Patrick played. And then now I own his signature guitar, and I have the Caleb guitar. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so he plays the most beautiful guitar. And this is just to, to touch on the knockdown dragouts. Uh, during a show once, he this 1972 thing, the only guitar, he had, it's starting to wear out at the top, because mm-hmm. he the way he played it, he fucking destroys it. <laughs> Gibson had to rebuild it. It's not the same, but like yeah. this this drunk motherfucker. I think for the, the not this most recent album, but the one before that, which is my favorite, and then the couple before that. Yeah, he was just drunk the whole time. Yeah, and actually they tell a story about being on a plane and eating sushi in between shows or whatever. Like mm-hmm. he had this like really fancy meal. I was like, what the fuck are we doing? <laughs> what does this come to? Like this is we were a band, and now this is not this is not okay. Yeah. Which sucks because to have uh, your favorite record be the thing that pushes them over the edge, mm-hmm. like we suck and now we're better kind of thing. Like the uh, the new album's good or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, Rocky Votolato, that's that's that that's my the third for sure third guy. Um, one of my the 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 friend who introduced me to that to the idea that I could play guitar and he gave me my first guitar. Um, showed me this man. He's from Seattle. Mm-hmm. One of the nicest guys. Really just plays guitar mm-hmm. um he has songs with like drums and stuff and he like has one of the like, harmonica that like rests on your uh, the bob chest. dylan harness yeah. yeah and he kills it yeah and he's someone who's definitely who i the one time i've sung to people like on stage i played two songs by rocky because mm-hmm. i only had two songs but like i played both yeah. the songs I, that i loved and it was just like oh Love that. Yeah, yeah. Those, those, those are my guys. Those, I'm, only, I'm only gonna get into three. Those are my guys. Well, no. So let me ask you one more question then. Like, who's who's a person in music? I won't ask you to slag on them, but like, who's a person in music where you don't you wouldn't want to be them? You wouldn't want to put your name on one of their albums, but there's something about them that you're like, oh, if I could, if I could do, you know, the one thing. Like for me, like I would say that about Kings of Leon. Like I'm not a big Kings of Leon fan, but like. Mm-hmm. I, I I totally agree with what you're saying. Is that like they've got that blues thing of like oh there's gosh. there's not much Let, happening here. Let me show you real quick. I'm not, I gotta be careful not to move this. My background is Kings of Leon. That's nice. The, that's the guitar. Yeah, yeah. Right. So like I, that, I that's the thing. Yeah, they, they got that. They do that blues thing of like there's not a lot happening here, but it's generating 
Like the sum is way more than the whole of its parts. Because they, they had they had this um, their rig rundown, or it was it was something something where they they take you behind the scenes and they teach you how to play one of their songs, or whatever. Yeah, it's it's so simple. Mm-hmm. It's so basic, right. and it's the way they put it together. Do you listen to U two at all? <laughs> I like how you weren't even like. Do you listen to U two? Like, do you listen to them at all? <laughs> What do you have to understand? Like of my gener, like I, like so my generation, it's sort of divided fifty fifty. People either love you two or hate you two, and I don't really know how you two is perceived after this, but I kind of assume it's just a joke. Well, they were the ones who had the album forced on our iPhones, right? Yes, right, yeah, exactly. That, that right. rubbed everyone the wrong way for sure. Yeah. Uh, what I, and I only say that to say, like, if you ever like, if you ever look up the edge. The guitar player for U2. Uh, it turns out um, that the Edge plays guitar pedals much more than he plays the guitar, which is not really to take anything away from. Him. You want to see a really interesting document? Have you ever seen? Um, uh, there's a documentary called "This Might Get Loud." Ooh, that sounds great already. It's just all it is is it's uh, the Edge from U2, Jimmy Page from um, Led Zeppelin, and Jack White from uh, the raconteurs and the white stripes and everything else. Um, and like the documentary, like it starts out with them getting together in this like warehouse. Um, and then it, it cuts away from that to a little vignette about each of them, um, like by themselves, yep. like Jimmy in some castle in England that he owns and uh, <laughs> um, the edge in uh, 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 Belfast. Are they Northern Ireland or no, they're real Ireland. Real Ireland, sorry, sorry, Northern Ireland, as opposed to fake Ireland. Um, there, yeah. Anyway, but him in Ireland, and then uh, in Jack White in Tennessee, uh, you you'll love the Jack White part because he literally just grabs like a two by four and a couple of nails and some string and a pickup and just like makes a guitar. Um, the, the interview, yeah, yeah, um, and just makes this real like uh, um, uh, rustic guitar and then plays it. Um, uh, Anyway, uh, but like, so it reveals a lot about about the edge. It's like it's kind of like I had I had heard a little bit about this, and then and then, but then it makes it very clear the extent to which he plays effects pedals and machines much more than he plays guitar. Like his all like like you said, like if you look at his guitar parts, they're very very simple. It's it's yeah. a lot to do with like delay and and echo and uh, and then you know chorus and reverb and 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 all that stuff. Um, that's mostly what. Uh, <laughs> would that be um, somewhat like Rage Against the Machine? Well, ex- except I wouldn't take any way. Like Tom Morello is one of those. Guys. So Tom Morello, I put in. There's two guys I would put in this camp. Tom Morello and um, shit. Um, I'm gonna forget his name. Uh, Mike Enzinger from Incubus. Yeah, Mike okay. Enzinger from Incubus. Those are two guys. Uh, and, and these are two guys for me because like they were popular when I was of that age, like, uh, who said this, it might've been Pete Holmes that like, um, uh, n- no music is ever going to mean as much to you as the music you listen to when you're four- 14. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, yeah, exactly. Right. And those, those guys were guys that were, um, either getting popular or at the peak of their popularity when I was in high school, Mike Enzinger and, um, Tom Laura. But I will say of those two guys, like. Uh, most of the effects pedals that have ever been made, like everybody was just kind of fucking around with them until those guys found them. And then they were like, Oh, this is what that effects, effects pedal is for. Like everybody else was like, Oh, my guitar sounds neat. And then Mike Enziger <laughs> was like, yeah, this is what you're supposed to do with it. Oh, and fuck. Tom Morello was like, and Tom Morello didn't even need an effects pedal. He's just going like, I'm going to half take my guitar apart and do shit that like, 
what the fuck? <laughs> but you know, it's like, uh, it's like, oh, I just thought I was supposed to like tune it and pick the strings and put my fingers here. And Tom Morell's like, no, no, man, you got to like pull the cord out and tap it on the thing. And it's like, these knobs do way more than just adjust the tone. Exactly. Right. Um, yeah. But, um, yeah, so the, I wouldn't put the edge quite in that camp, but but I mean, well, anyway, like it, it both like it 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 demystifies the edge as a guitar player, but then also you're like, well, but not everybody can do what he does, like mm-hmm. and like and again, like you said, like or like I said about Kings of Leon, you love Kings of Leon, unobjectively <laughs> uh, or uh, un unqualified. You have an unqualified love for uh, for Kings of Leon. I respect Kings of Leon in that, like they do things where you're like, there's not a lot going on there, but I can't deny that, like. They're just so good at doing like a little. I mean, bit. the point of art, right? I mean, the point of art is like it's supposed to make you feel things. Yeah, uh, and I can't say that a Kings of Leon song doesn't make me feel things. And and well, I guess one of the things that I feel that I see with people who uh, might not like them mm-hmm. is they do good with not that much. One of my favorite things that I will throw out there, just because I want you to know this, um, they have a song, one of my favorite songs, where. It's called Closer. Have you heard that? Do you know that one? So I only know the Nine Inch Nails Closer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which is very different, I assume. I, I assume so. So it starts off with, like, picking. It sounds like a guitar picking. Okay. But it's actually the bass. Interesting. And he's... I, I always in favor of a good bass part. Absolutely. I always... Every time I... If I ever get to play with the bassist, I'm like, turn it up. I need to hear more. Yes. Um, but it's like... He's playing two notes, then two notes, then two notes. And... He's he's just sitting on a pedal, and he plays the first note, boop, 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 and then he hits this opposite effect, mm-hmm. which is doing so much with so little. Mm-hmm. And then another part that comes into that song is a dude is just screaming into the pickup. Okay. The, and it, I, I guess there's some settings that they have that just really bring that in. And I remember mm-hmm. hearing the song, like, I love this song. And then I heard the background, they, all the things that go into it. I'm like, holy shit. Like, you watch him play it live. He's just sitting there holding this this giant semi-hollow, just, like, screaming into it. And he's, like, he's got his bass up here because he's playing on, like, the 12th fret kind of thing. And it's just like, this is obnoxious, but I love it. <laughs> like, I love Kings of Leon, but also I definitely hate them. If that's that good. Sense. That's healthy. That's healthy. No, no, that's good. It's, it's yeah, I, I, it's, like, all of my idols have, like... All of my idols are are faulty, and I think like that it's the lesson there is that we're all people, right? Like you shouldn't you shouldn't you shouldn't think that anybody is not a person. Like, oh my gosh, it's so funny because um, I had my uh, buddy from my one on one class on. We talked a lot about synchronicity and the fact that you the change- police album. <laughs> Too young for that. I know it's okay. I, again, I'm watching The Office and. Uh, Kevin's band's a police cover band. <laughs> Which is great. The police oh are great. Police and also are... annoying. It, what is it What is it about the fact that it's like, I love this, but I hate this? Like, it, it, the police, are, to me, I can't, at this moment, I can't think of a stronger example than... Because we all go, this is my whole thing about, like, compression, like, all of us normal Joes. Oh, yeah. Uh, hey. Uh, so, uh, what's happened here, this is going to be an instructive moment for the audience and for Jonathan. Um... Uh, Jonathan has indicated that he would like a top off on his Maserati. Again, that's uh, equal parts Mezcal and Ramazani. Uh, and at this point, I will reiterate to him what I said earlier in the podcast. Every man is responsible for his own beef stew recipe. You've seen me do this twice. I have not been paying attention. It's equal parts Ramazani and Mezcal. And there's no wrong answer here. How crazy are you? You're responsible for your own beef stew recipe. That's right. Oh, my gosh. All right. I'll see if I can... 
But, but I'm not supposed to do it at the same time, right? It doesn't. It, no, the, the no only, like, what you should be doing is jiggering it because, you I know. I don't even know what that means. Uh, how did you work in the food industry? Um, That's too much. You were in the kitchen. Um, uh, so any good bartender... Um, uh, I never never worked bar. Right, right. Um, uh, any good bartender... Um, the, the, the bartenders that I... Um, Respect are bartenders that um, feel that like you should be executing the craft at the highest level, no matter what you're doing. So if you're making a uh, Negroni, um, make the best Negroni you can. If you're making a rum and coke, make the best rum and coke you can. And to that extent, they say like a jigger is the um, you've seen it. Um, it's the metal. The double, the, the how they measure liqueurs. Yeah. yeah, yeah. One side is one ounce, and the other side is an ounce and a half or two ounces. Um, uh, so that you know, I mean, there are some bartenders who will say like, uh, "Hey, whatever, man. Like, I'm good at my job. Um, I can do." And some bartenders like do that, like deliberately practice this so that they know that they can do a one ounce pour, free pour, or do a two ounce pour, free pour. Sure. And so, like, I don't need to jigger, man. I'm not good. And then there are the people that say like, "I'm going to jigger everything." Because I want it to be right every time. Sure. Um, and I'm more in the second camp. I re- again, like the, those are the guys that I want to be. I want to be them. And then the guys that uh, free pour, like there are things about them I wish I could copy, <laughs> but I don't want to be them. I'll say this about bartenders: if you laugh at the inevitable cocktail joke, um, uh, Tom Cruise movie that I'm going to make, mm-hmm. then I am tipping you an extra five dollars. Okay. Uh, that's one of the. So I don't know if you know this. I'm terrible with movies. I, I like I had sensed that. I don't know that you'd ever declared that, but I had sensed that. So one, so the only time I've ever declared that publicly, without like I, I, I do it all the time, like in casual conversation. Mm-hmm. But uh, for the first live episode I did, that was one of Gans's things because I know Gans is a movie buff, right? So the, I think the first thing I said is like I suck at movies. Um, and I remember when I was doing my sound test before that episode. And this cuts, and, th- and this is on two axes, if I may, right? If I can explore this Please. as the analyst in me. Please. This is on two axes. Both, there are many movies that many people have seen that you haven't seen. Correct. And there are many movies that you have seen, and if somebody were to quote that movie, you wouldn't recognize it. Absolutely. Right, both those things, yeah. Absolutely. So you are objectively terrible at movies. I mean, you name an, you name an aspect of being a moviegoer, and I'm bad at it. Right. I don't, I don't know where to sit in the theater. Mm-hmm. I recently learned it's at the, the bottom of the back section where the bars are, and you put your feet up. Uh, well, I mean, again, there's a lot of ways to optimize. That's what I'm saying. I don't know these things. Sure, but you have you have no philosophy. You have no philosophy on where to sit in a movie theater. <clears throat> I just, I, I, I'm sitting still for that long. But then I do it, and I like it. I'm like, oh, it's so fun. See, my best friend in high school is like you. Ugh. He like has like he can't. The only reason he would ever watch a movie is like as a part of a social activity. He would never, of his own volition, sit down and watch a movie by himself. It's real hard to do that for me. Mm-hmm. It's real, real mm-hmm. difficult. I um. Where was I going with that? Uh, you're bad at movies. You said that on stage at uh, the first podcast live. I think I was just trying to transition to um, one of the things that you and Alex, Alex Light, hopeful <laughs> future friend of the show, um, made very clear is that you guys are both amazing at movies. Uh, yeah. Well, so, and Serpa mentioned this, right? Like, I have, um, I don't brag on myself often, and I only say that to say, like, when I brag on myself, like... I feel pretty strongly about it. The one thing, like I, and the flip side of this is, I have terrible visual recall. Like if I had to describe my, literally, if I had to describe my mother's face to a police sketch artist, I don't think it would come out very well. 
I have bad visual memory. I don't think I, I would love to be a visual artist. Uh, you know, I've, I'm not a huge comic book guy, but I've been into comic books many times. I wish I could draw. Um, uh, but I can't, but I have amazing auditory recall. Serper said it like she said it exactly. If somebody says something and Scott's interested in it, it's recorded in his brain. Yep. And that's absolutely true. I remember having to, I had to ask you to type out or say word for word slowly two different quotes so that I could write them in my notebook because I'm terrible at audio, mm-hmm. audio, at auditory recall. Yeah. And language, I mean, and, and language, I'm very interested in language. Like that, the, many of the people, like many of my guys are guys who talk well. Who are your guys? It, I, I was hoping you'd ask. Um, <laughs> you uh, just had to mention it again. <laughs> um, yeah, like, um, uh, like I like to, the, I like to mention the guys that like, I don't think are a lot of people's guys. I, I, uh, I'm not unique in any way, but like, I think, um, so like the people that I like to stick up for, um, I like to stick up for, uh, Steely Dan, uh, musically, um, Steely Dan gets a, a rap for being like a nerds band or like a middle-aged white guy band. Um, and they are to my mind, what I've heard the most successful fusion of jazz and rock. Mm-hmm. Um, like jazz and pop, I guess. Like they, like they, they have a few songs that 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 rock, but for the most part, they don't rock. But like the, those, I mean, and um, talk about like uh, <laughs> talk about like conflict and tension producing music. Like if you read about Steely Dan, like like so Steely Dan was a band that formed at Bard College um, originally. Before it was Steely Dan, there was a different arcade. I'm I'm a bad Steely Dan fan because I'm not going to remember the name. But before they were Steely Dan, there was a different incarnation of the band, and Chevy Chase was the drummer. And Chevy Chase hated those guys and quit that band with a quickness. Wow. Um, also, uh, bonus points for saying with the quickness because nobody <laughs> drops that. That's one of my favorite things. Exactly. Language buff. Um, uh, so, so what, is that, what is that from? With a quickness? I have no idea. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a turn of phrase. It's just a turn of phrase that's been okay. out of common usage. I've only ever heard one usage. drop that. Uh, yeah, I don't know what, the, I, I can't think of like a prominent reference for that, but I mean, it, 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 there was a time when it was like common, but, oh, but, but now it's not. So now it's kind of like, uh, interesting. Um, uh, but so, so Steely Dan formed at a college and it was a five piece band. They had two vocalists. Um, um, and then it devolved over the course of three albums to two guys, like two guys who, um, through a very torturous process, wrote songs, uh, and in the studio, they were studio perfectionists. And so the rest of the band who wanted to tour basically dropped out um, of the band or they or these two guys fired them. And, and they became these two guys that just like lived in studios and like they would record on their best album or their most it's their best album, but like their most <laughs> well-known album, Aja, like every song on that album is performed pretty much by a completely different band because it's all studio musicians and it's completely different studio musicians on every track. Uh, yeah, it's great. Like the Steely Dan is like everything about them is a story. Um, uh, so Steely Dan, um, Orson Welles, um, that's probably not as rare. I mean, like many people think like Orson Welles is great, but I don't think as many people are in love with Orson Welles as I am. Like he was like the ultimate, like sort of flim flam, charlatan but like nobody could be orson wells but orson wells like he like lied his way into everything he Mm -hmm. went to ireland as a teenager and said he was a famous american actor and then became a working actor in ireland and then came back here and said he was a famous actor in europe and when he was 
this is where I'm a bad Orson Welles fan. I'm not going to know the exact, but it was when he was 20. I think it was 27. He directed uh, Citizen Kane. 27. He directed what many people say is the most important film ever made. People say that about Citizen Kane? Yes. And you should watch it, and I will tell you, you will be underwhelmed. But like, what you need to know, what you need to think about while you're watching Citizen Kane is... This is the problem with everything that came before us, right? This is our problem as like the current generation. Um, uh, you can't imagine, but you must try to imagine what it was like to watch this before you saw everything that this inspired. Ooh. Citizen Kane, one of my favorite quotes about Citizen Kane, Sean Hambright is probably clawing his eyes out right now, but <laughs> it's fine. Sorry. Hey, Sean. Um, <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite quotes about Citizen Kane, first movie where you ever saw a ceiling because it was the first time anybody ever tilted the camera. Like everything else was just like, they were like, why wouldn't you just shoot it straight? Like, why wouldn't you just have a level camera? Like he was the first one. He like invented, like again, he probably didn't invent it, but he popularized the Dutch angle. I literally can't think of a single time I've seen a ceiling in a movie. Right. Exactly. Right. And it's still like not that, uh, anyway, but no, no, um, you saying that I'm just like, yeah, fuck. Have I ever seen a ceiling? Right in a movie, you have. I mean, like if you have, have I though. Yeah, you, I mean, well, I mean, and it's and it's to their credit, to the director's credit, that you didn't notice it because, like, um, I will say, like, have you watched the? Um, uh, I think it's the screenwriter, the uh, YouTube channel that like breaks down movies. There's a there's a there's a guy. Um, uh, I think I'm pretty sure it's a screenwriter or or every oh no every frame a page. It's either every frame a page or the nerd writer. One of those two. Anyway, but they do a, a video on David Fincher, and their point on David Fincher is like everybody thinks they hate CGI, but what they hate is bad CGI Ooh. because what it turns out is David Fincher uses CGI extensively. Like there's very few shots in a David Fincher movie that don't involve CGI. What's a and David you, Fincher movie I've seen? Uh, Seven, uh, The Social Network. Oh, I, uh, wait, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. I've seen both of those last two. Yeah, right. And the and the reason you don't notice the CGI is because it's well used. Like Ooh. it's because he's a and like like when you, like watch this video because it's incredible. Because like what he says is like he's using it to achieve and he's using it to achieve a perfection that is not possible with a physical camera in physical space like when you see them break down the shot you're like oh yeah like the the camera would have to like go through a wall and the camera or the camera would have to like go through the actor like something physically impossible to get that shot that he got Mm -hmm. and so like that's why he had to use cgi but like the cgi is seamless you don't go like oh wow that's great cgi it's not the the, you go like oh wow that's a great shot it's not the prequels is what you're saying (laughs) right or like i mean a better well I mean, like another great example is, I don't know, like uh, Mad Max Fury Road. Like, it's kind of obvious. Like, I mean, Mad Mad Max Fury Road is an achievement because they did so many things practical that they didn't have to do practical. But it's still like, you know, I mean, like, so Mad Max Fury Road, like, it'd be a shot of like 100 cars driving through the desert and 20 of them blow up. And the cool thing is they actually did blow up 20 cars. The thing that all the people go, CGI sucks, Mad Max rules because they actually blew up those cars. The thing that they don't know and are ignoring is they blew up those cars individually in 20 separate shots and stitched them together digitally with CGI. Ah, CGI fuck, is fuck not you guys. <laughs> CGI is not bad. Bad CGI is bad. Anyway, uh, God, where were we? Uh, Steely Dan, Orson Welles. Um, <laughs> uh, definitely, like, I listened to the Beatles. Please say someone I know. 
Well, so I, I I listen to the Beatles a lot, and I respect the Beatles a lot, and I enjoy the Beatles music, but I'm much more of a Rolling Stones guy than a Beatles guy. Okay. Um, I feel bad that I haven't listened to... I, I feel like I haven't listened to enough Elvis. I feel like I would really get into Elvis if I got into him. See, the one thing that I'm, I notice about you that mm-hmm. differs from me explicitly is I feel like you, you seek out these new experiences. Yeah. You're like, I bet I would love Elvis. And I'm like, there's no way I'm ever going to listen to Elvis. <laughs> like, and here's the difference. That's why you do more than I do. I don't do much. I seek out, like, I never think I know enough. I always think like, I'm not qualified to do that yet. Like I can't write anything. I haven't read enough. Like mm-hmm. right now I'm listening to Anna Karenina on an audiobook because I'm like, I haven't listened to any Russian literature. What the fuck could I write if I haven't listened to any Russian literature? How the hell could I write a single word if I have not listened to an ounce of Russian literature? Right, exactly. So, like, there's literature. part of my brain, like, and I'll be very honest, this is exactly what I was hoping was happening. I want to speak very freely with you. So, I'm going to speak yeah, very freely please. right now. So, I want you to know that there's no malice or judgment in what I'm saying. This is a true observation. Like, I find, like, so when I look at you, Sometimes you move in a way that makes me go, oh, God, is he doing that? Um, like, what makes him think he can do that? Like, yeah. wh- how can, like, that is bold and impertinent and, uh, and, uh, assuming, um, uh, and like, those are the things that are going through my head. And at the same time, I'm like, God, I wish I would, like, I've always wanted to do that. I wish I could do that. Like, why don't I do that? And, I, and then, you know, it's like I said, like, oh, I haven't, I, I, I can't, uh, start a, podcast because i haven't listened to enough 1940s radio <laughs> you know is that do you have other examples other than start a podcast like why don't i go cook in a kitchen i want to cook in a kitchen like i don't have to quit my job i could just mm-hmm. go stage you could stage. i have several friends who run kitchens i could just say like hey can i stage in your kitchen for I'm listeners at home staging is working in a kitchen for free <laughs> for like one night so they can see what you can do and you get to yeah. Fuck shit up there. It's literally, can I volunteer in your kitchen? Basically, yes. And depending, yeah. on, and depending on the kitchen, like that, that can be an honor. It can be like, mm-hmm. who the fuck? Why the fuck would you assume you can stage here? Um, but anyway. It's so funny that you say that because I... Uh, it's, it, it's like... Um, I think... I think the boldness that you describe... Specifically, let's specifically go with like the podcast, for example. Mm-hmm. I feel like that became bold well after I started it. Right. Like, the first two episodes was kind of like, mm-hmm. it was my best friend, and then it was me. Right. Episode one and two. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the second guest on my show. Mm-hmm. That's, that, that's some shit. Right. And then after that was one-on-one students. And then it started to be a thing. I don't know. I, I guess mm, that's so weird to think about. That. Well, and, and like, and, and like, I know that you were right about that. Like, that's the thing I've heard many people say, like, I've always wanted to write more too. Like a writing is a thing. I feel like, like writing is a thing. I feel bad that I don't do because I like, I think I could be good at it. Like many people have read things that I have written. Like again, like a very prominent memory of mine from high school is, um, uh, junior year. Um, uh, we had combined, it's not important. We had like history and, and English were combined. They just call it humanities. It was the same class. Like sometimes it would be all English. Sometimes it'd be all history. And sometimes it'd be both. Anyway, um, I was doing very, very badly in that class because for the most part, I did very, very badly as a student, um, <laughs> in high school. Um, uh, gotta clarify. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, again, like I, I, I we've had enough, uh, Maseratis and course, um, that, uh, 
I'll speak with I'll try to speak without qualifying myself as much. Like I am smarter than the average bear. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I will happily second and third that. Thank and you. I can get I can get eight other people to absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I'm smarter than the average bear. That's something that I'm aware of. Um, so. Hell, you rush, you listen, you're listening to something Russian, like, fuck you. <laughs> um, uh, um, so uh, public school was always, um, I never had to try very hard. It felt hard to me. Like, it, it felt like what I was doing was hard, yeah. but I never had to try very hard to be good at it. Like, uh, especially with the auditory recall and everything, like, I never really had to study or, or uh, really work at, at being good at school. Sure. I'm a good test taker, um, yep. stuff like that. Um, then, and because of that, I got into uh, Thomas Jefferson High School for Science and Technology, which is um, regularly called by U.S. News, Re- <laughs> News and World Report and others the best public high school in the country. Mm. Uh, it's in Northern Virginia. Um, it has a sister school here, Maggie Walker. Um, uh, but anyway, like, and, and, but then I, I went from his classic story, big fish, small pond to small fish, big pond. Like everybody there was at least as smart as me, if not 10 times smarter. Um, and I was not used to working hard. Um, and so I didn't, <laughs> and I didn't do very well. So anyway, so as a junior year high school, I was, it was in this, um, uh, and junior year was all about American stuff. Um, and so like early, like for the first half of the year, my teachers just thought I was an idiot or didn't care or whatever. Um, and they were like, well, I guess he's going to fail. Um, and then they started talking about stuff that I knew about. Like I just, I'd never been that much of a revolutionary war buff. I'd never been that much of a civil war guy. Uh, and they started talking about world war one and I had been interested in Hemingway. And so like I knew a couple of things and, just like in class, they would be saying something. And I'd be like, "Oh yeah," and this, and they were like, "Yeah," and then and they would be talking about something else. I'm like, "Oh yeah," and that, and they were like, and then so, and like literally, they pulled me aside after class, and they were like, "We thought you just didn't give a shit," mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, "No, nah, I mean, you know, I don't know, I'm doing what I can." And they were like, "Okay, well, we don't want you to fail now because we 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 like think you we're, we're, we we think you're good." Um, so they were like, we're, we're all going to the national gallery, um, to see, uh, a Calder exhibit Calder. Uh, do you know Calder? No. It was, a, um, a mobilist. He makes mobiles. Um, the just things that hang above baby's cribs. Exactly. But like big, huge, a fancy ones. One. They're really cool. That's um, not, honestly, that sounds really cool. Yeah. They are, they're, they're, they're both a feat of art and engineering. I couldn't imagine the art gallery that could hold that. Yeah, I don't think they have any at the, the VMFA, VMFA although the like VMFA no is rooms. very fine. They have great, one. Great space, but like, how, where are you going to put that? Yeah, I don't know. I was just in uh, going back to uh, NOLA being the only city I would move to until last weekend. Last weekend, I was in Chicago. Chicago was the second city. I was like, oh, I could move here. Um, Chicago, the, Chicago would kill you. <laughs> yeah. Way um, quicker than New Orleans. <laughs> the Art Institute at Chicago has a Calder. Um, oh, okay, cool, cool. Um, Anyway, um, so we were going to see a Calder exhibit, exhibit, and there was also an exhibit of, at the same time, oh my gosh, it's going to kill me, the guy with the three colors. Wow. Um, I can Google it if if you need this. Abstract expressionist, pretty sure his name starts with M. He just does, like, fields of color. Um, Expressionist. (laughs) (laughs) Um... Let's see. I googled abstract expressionism artists. Jackson Pollock, no. Mark Rothko. Rothko, that's it. Yep, Mark wow, Rothko. Okay. okay, so his first name starts with an M. Yeah, Mark Rothko. Um, yeah, so check out a Mark Rothko, Rothko painting. They tend to be like his 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 uh, mature. What everybody knows Mark Rothko for is he did hundreds of paintings in this style where it's it's literally just three bands of color, three horizontal bands horizontal bands of color. And it's painted in such a way that like 
kind of like you said about Kings of Leon or something else where it's like, this is an incredibly simple painting. It's just three rectangles. But the way that it's painted, the technique, you can tell there's incredible technique there. Mm-hmm. The way that the colors are layered, the feathering, all this stuff. Um, uh, they were like, hey, there's an exhibit on Mark Rothko. We're just going to check out Calder, but you know everybody can look at the Rothko. Like, if you write a paper on Rothko, we'll give you some extra credit. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and, and hopefully you won't <laughs> fail this class. Uh, so, I, so I, I looked at the Rothkos while I was there and I was like, these are weird. What's his deal? And, and because of writing a paper, I, re- I read up on him and, and the whole deal with the three colors was, so he come, I'm and he, again, like, uh, uh, art history majors are going to scream at me, but, uh, uh, don't worry. I don't think I have any <laughs> art history majors listening to my show. Um, uh, abstract expressionism, right? It was the idea that like we we need to get away from like representational art so that we can say something that's more universal. Because the idea being like, and I get this, like this did resonate with me of like mm. like art, like the point of art is to communicate emotion. That's what I, you know, we, I said that earlier. Um, and so like while it's true that it would say like, okay, well I am thinking about fear and I want to communicate fear and I want to say something about fear. Um, so I'm going to paint a picture of a bear because I'm afraid of bears. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so here's a big, scary bear. And like, if you see that picture, you're probably going to get fear. You're like, Oh, it's a big, scary bear. I'm afraid mm-hmm. of that bear. But there's something about bears. Like you have a different experience of bears than I do. Yeah. So, uh, even though I'm trying to communicate fear, like you're going to get something different than what I'm saying yeah. just because we both had different experiences of bears. I'm going to, so, I'm going to draw from my reserve of bears. Right. Exactly. So the idea of abstract expressionism was like, let's get rid of the representational stuff so that we can get to the pure emotion. Like let's try to get a direct connection so that you are picking up exactly what I'm putting out. Um, and that's what Rothko was doing, falling that all the way back to these three rectangles. And to my mind, and like, it seemed like to everybody else, because like Mark Rothko literally killed himself because his perception was everybody was like, Oh, these are really pretty. Like, these are great. I don't know. Like everybody, like even like art critics were like, I don't know what these mean, but they're really pretty. And everybody wanted one. And they were like, he was like celebrated in his time. But like, everybody's like, I don't know what this means, but it looks nice. I want it on my wall. And he got so, I mean, like anybody that kills themselves probably has a lot of stuff going on. But like part of it was like, he was so despondent at the fact that like, like it was the opposite of what he was going for. Um, that like, you know, so, and, and, and like, yeah, I was an angry teenager at the time. So like my paper was all like this guy, this idiot, he tried to be everything to everybody and ended up being nothing to anybody. And he killed himself. And I literally yeah, wrote like my paper was like, him. I tried. Yeah, I know I did. And I, but I, <laughs> like, I tried to write this academic paper that was like, here are the facts, here are the sources, here's what happened. Here's the timeline. But I got so mad. And of course, like I, I waited until like, you know, like one o'clock in the morning, the night before this paper was due to write it. And I was like half fuzzed out. So I literally, I just like open parenthesis and I said, warning parenthetical tirade ensues. And I just like wrote what I thought about the guy in all caps, like a, a Kale Davis, uh, tirade, except not positive, inspirational, live your life <laughs> stuff. It was just like Mark Rothko's a fucking, like here, here's a 16 year old, uh, dipshit's opinion of Mark Rothko and why he, why he's an <laughs> idiot for killing himself. Um, but like I wrote that paper and they were like, Oh, this is great. Like you're a writer. You should be a writer. Um, Go make sure you take writing seminar next year. And like writing seminar was like, you had three options at TJ for English class in senior year. You could either take uh, English, like regular Fairfax County English. You could take AP English. So you could get uh, extra credit, uh, or you could take uh, writing seminar and AP English and writing seminar were both supposed to be hard. It was like a lot of work. Um, and so like my guidance counselor was like, you're 
about to fail out of high school. You can't take a hard class. Oh, no. <laughs> um, anyway, that, all I'd say, like, I, I, I wish I was a writer, but I don't write. Oh, no, yeah, your thing of, like, like you said, yeah, because this, this all, sorry, I'm tying this all back. Yeah. You said, like, yeah, you did bad podcasts when you started. But I the, didn't say that. You said that. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that's absolutely true. No, it's true. Um, but right, that you found your voice by like, and and that's and all like all to say like I know that again like huge longering rambling st- story to prove that like I know that intellectually that the only way you get do good at doing anything by doing is it. by doing it like Ira there's that great Ira Glass thing which if you haven't seen that see that like Ira Glass the guy from have you seen this. Um, speaking of, pod- or like as a podcaster, he's a radio guy. Ira Glass is the host of This American Life. He had this great thing about it. He's like, he, he was making this point, but he also explained it very well. He was like, he's like, you know this, that like, if you want to be a writer, you're going to have to write. And if you're going to write, you're probably not going to write great things your first try. Mm-hmm. And if you want, if you want to do a radio, if you want to do a podcast, you're probably not going to be great. But here's why this feels painful. And he explained it and it made a lot of sense, which was you liked listening to Pete Holmes. Yeah. You enjoy Pete Holmes. Yeah. Pete Holmes makes good podcasts. And you're like, I want to make a podcast. You are an aficionado. You enjoy podcasts. You listen to podcasts. Mm -hmm. So you have tastes about podcasts. You know what you like and what you don't like. Uh, (laughs) So when you go to make a podcast, you've never done it before. So you have no skills, but you have a lot of opinions. Yep. Like you appreciate podcasts. Uh It's just like me with food. Like I eat a lot of food. So, like, I know what food I like. So when I started cooking, like, it was very bad. And I knew exactly how bad it was. Because I was a good appreciator of food and a bad maker of food. At some point, you were a good appreciator of podcasts and a bad maker of podcasts. Absolutely. But the only way you're going to become a good maker of podcasts is by making bad podcasts. Yeah. And, like, eventually they have to turn out good somehow. Well, I mean, you may not necessarily get good, but, like, you're definitely not going to get good if you don't make them. That's true. Yeah. Anyway. No, no, no. I feel like that, that, that's so relevant because it's like, um, like I was saying at the beginning, having having you on, having like Serpa on, having mm-hmm. Jonathan Nelson on, uh, Pizer was a big one for sure. Having these people on, you're like, so like for example, like when I had Anthony on for a second one, like mm-hmm. we were very good friends at that point, right? So like it was gonna be fine. We had a, we had a good talk, whatever. Right. But like having someone who you like look up to, like right. you put that pressure on. How um, was it having Pajor on? Sorry, I'm going to continue the interview. No, please. Um, Pajor is somebody who still terrifies me. I he has always and will always terrify me. I don't think I I don't think I crushed it. Mm-hmm. Um, th- th- that's the thing is like <clears throat> this show only goes as well as I'm performing because I'm in control. Mm-hmm. Like you can you can host as much as you want. That's fine. Right. But the moment that I try to take it in a different direction, like you're going to bend to that, mm-hmm. and that 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 is true for every guest. Uh, one of the things I worry a lot about Serpa's episode was is like, and we talked about this a little bit after. Like she's not one to interject, right? And uh, I dep- I honestly, as a host, I depend on that, right? Like because I I can ramble too, mm-hmm. and so. I went on way too long for like a couple different instances. I'm sure we could easily point them out, but we're not going to. Right. Um, where I, it would have been way better if I had stopped talking and she had started talking. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think for, for Pizor's episode. How do you think he felt? Fine. Fine. But, well, that's the thing I've, I've learned about Pizor is, um, well, and this is, this is a basic, a basic thing where it's just like, um, 
<laughs> the people you look up to, like no one, no one looks. Yes, he's not, he's not looking down on me. Yes, he's looking across. Here's the quote on that. I'll quote another oh, thing. I, for, I forget who quoted this, but um, this is both this is both the greatest relief and the and the most terrible curse. Yes. No one is thinking about you as much as you think they are. Yeah, that, 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 I think that's what I was trying to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, everyone who comes on the show is way more worried about how they're going to come right. off on their episode because mm-hmm. they're only on one, maybe two, if you're really lucky, right. you get a third kind of thing. Right. Um, and only two people have gotten thirds and only a handful have gotten twos. Right. So, like, but I'm on 65 of them. <laughs> exactly. So, like... So you th- so you think Pyjor had a, a, a an okay good time, okay to good. I would put it at minimum okay good. Yeah. I think one of the things Pyjor was so okay. So the little a little backstory about that. Which mm-hmm. if you listen to that one, you know this. The first time I ever did a real set, felt mm. confident on stage. I didn't listen to this podcast, but I did hear you tell this on another podcast, which is I, that I've, I've mentioned it a lot. Pyjor plus one, yeah, Pyjor plus one. Right before, before my one-on-one showcase, yeah, I was at a friend's house. We were we were drinking wine, and uh, Ryan Clatterbuck, text, yeah, uh, messages me. He's like, "Yo, potential stage time at the refinery." Yeah, this is fucking Sunday because that's when they were at that time. So I head out. I get picked, and at the time, I would have sworn on everything that Ryan put in a word. But Pizer was like, "No, you look the most eager." Dude, I absolutely was. I yeah. absolutely was, and so. We went on and like, it was good. It was it was fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was one of the only one of two times where someone has come up to me outside of the theater after the show and said that was really good. Yeah. Like I was I was getting in my car kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I I brought that up on his episode because I had to. Yeah, I had brought it up enough. I I, I would I would honestly say of the fifty episodes that preceded his, yeah, at least fifteen to twenty. That I brought that up mm-hmm. because that that story is so relevant in so many ways. That was my first like real high as a performer, mm-hmm. but also one of the reasons I started this show. Um, and you really know this if you listen to the early ones was because I had gotten out of a relationship mm-hmm. and I actually have a stand up bit about it now, which is funny that you mentioned stand up uh, briefly. Um, I was in this very serious relationship, and then I got out of it, and I realized like, I got nothing, no mm-hmm. identity, create my own identity kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and I remember texting the woman I was seeing at the time about that show. Mm-hmm. Literally, probably, like, highlight of my life. Mm-hmm. Like, you go up with a hero. Like, he did my free view. He did my free view. He was my introduction to this world that yeah. is my world now. And I texted the woman who I was seeing at the time, and she just was such the worst person. <laughs> it's just the, I just... I, I texted this like long text about like what it was and what it meant. And yeah. the response was like cool. Like yep. no punctuation, no capitalization. Yep. Oh. Three that. things. I have three things here. Yes. Uh number one is um I know exactly what you're talking about. Um I've had not quite that um definitive or formative an experience with Pyjor, but I've had similar experiences with Pyjor. Like I remember the first time I was on stage with Pyjor and I was like terrified and elated. Um, he's such a strong performer. Um, he's one of those guys where like he, like, and I will say this like freely. Um, he's one of those guys that he's on that part of the spectrum for me where it's like, I don't want to be Pyjor, but there's a lot of things I would take from Pyjor. Um, because like, um, 
uh, it was always intimidating talking to anybody. Um, I'm like, Katie is always like super friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, even like, and she, you know, like, especially when you're first coming into the theater, like she's intimidating too, because she's, she's a, a terrific performer. Um, she's one of the founding, uh, members of the theater. Um, but, um, she, like when you, if you interact with her in person, she's nothing but warm and, um, the best. Right. Exactly. It's like, she's very congenial, uh, very friendly. Um, Newman is like sort of in the middle. Um, Newman is like, um, again, like incredible performer. Mm-hmm. And when you see him, uh, off stage, he's, uh, friendly and polite and yep. congenial, but a little aloof. You never yeah, feel like, like yeah, I yeah. never felt like I've been in with Newman. Never. Yeah. He's, um, he's the one founder I haven't had on the show, this right. show yet. Yeah. And I agree with, uh, Lauren that like, you just got to reach out to him. Like he's like, like anybody <laughs> else, like he's just he's like, he, he like, and, and again, and if he puts you off, like, don't take it personally. It's probably just cause he's busy. Um, well, but, I remember cause I, I wanted to have him on the first live show yeah. and he couldn't make it. Right. And exactly. then I had him on the second one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's he's just busy. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, you should absolutely have him on. Um, and then Pyjor is the far end of the spectrum to me where he's like, he's incandescent on stage. He's incredible. Um, and then off stage, it's like, anytime I've ever talked to him, I've been like, I've tried to say something cool or something just normal <laughs> or like, I, I like, I'm very conscious of what I say to Pyjor yep. when I talk to Pyjor off stage yep. and like, 99 times out of 100, I'm like, he fucking hates me. Yes. He fucking hates me. You were literally me. saying what so many people think. <laughs> right. Like, yeah, and I know. If you're listening right now and you don't think that, like... <laughs> you're wrong. You're not just, paying attention. You're not paying attention. <laughs> exactly. And I want to know who you are. So I can <laughs> yeah, tell yeah. you you're wrong. Yeah, yeah. You're just blindly going through the world assuming people like you. And I don't think... I, I want to I be clear that we don't think it's a knock on Pajor. No, no, it's absolutely. Just, it's just how you view, and it's right. this thing that... I, I've talked about so much, especially I talked about the thing I talked about with Katie and David when I had them on. Yeah, um, where it's like this thing where it's just like you just have this respect for somebody. Yes, like like if I were to talk to a Caleb Followell or a Patrick Stump, right. like I've met Patrick Stump on several occasions. Yeah, um, and I will I put I'll put them in comparison. Patrick Stump to me was more of a Katie, mm-hmm. and Caleb I have never met Caleb, but right. like if I were to meet him, I'm sure he'd be more of a Pajor. Right, because like I remember. Um, I went to a FOB show and I brought his solo album mm-hmm. and he commented on it. It's like, Oh my God, thank you so much for bringing this. And I was like, that's warm. Right. That's inviting. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is okay. Like I didn't make a fool of myself. Right. But if I were to do like, if I were to bring an old album to like Caleb, for example, like I don't think it'd go over as well. Right. Exactly. And, and so part of that is like, right. Like, um, like this is part of what I hear about Alden Brown, and like I've heard that Alden Brown has gotten much better at this. And, and but again, like I feel like Alden Brown has gotten good at this in a professional way. That like he knows this is part of his job. That like Alden Brown is like like in real life, like he seems like he's maybe the most similar to Pyjor of like anybody that's like outside of my like people I actually know pantheon to like people in anywhere in the world pantheon like. Yeah. His on his on screen persona, his like or on stage persona is like very like engaging and um and slick and um and competent and professional and like fascinating. Uh, and then off stage, they're they're kind of prickly pears. Sure. Um, 
I don't, I don't think David would disagree with you. Right, exactly. That's all. Right, exactly. Like, I hope, yeah, I would hope if David heard this or if anybody told David about this, he would just feel seen. Like, that, like, <laughs> you're a human, David. I assume, and like, I've kind of like, you know, like, if, if, right, if I think about it at all, like, you know, because it's my lizard brain that's going, yeah. like, my lizard brain is going, he fucking hates me. He yeah. thinks I'm a shit improviser. He, he just wants me to get out of his theater. He wishes he had never seen me before. Yeah. And then, like, the intellectual part of my brain is going, like, he's probably about as uncomfortable as I am. And he just as doesn't, a, yeah, as a person doesn't, he doesn't enjoy this part of it. You know, like he's, there's no chance that he's going to get out of this, what I want to get out of this. And so like, we're never going to meet in the middle, which is fine. But like, and, and like, and, and like you said, like I say that without judging him as a person, um, and certainly without judging him as a performer, because, and then like, like you said, like, because like you, when you get on stage with him, he is absolutely, he's first of all, incredibly talented. And then second of all, incredibly generous. Yeah. When you get on stage with him, you're like, Oh shit, we're best friends. Yeah. Oh shit. We're going to Mexico together. <laughs> like, Oh shit. We're going to start a band. We're going to get matching tattoos. Like yeah. when you're on stage, that's all you feel. Yeah. And you're like, you're like, he's incredible. I always knew he was incredible, but I'm incredible. I'm I never exactly. knew I was incredible, I'm, but I'm, I'm incredible. I'm next to the incredible guy. Well, and you feel incredible. This was my no, experience. You're right. You're right. Yeah. It was like, oh, I'm incredible. I'm good at this. I think, I think I felt that most strongly when we did a quick cutaway and cut back right. during that cutaway. Cause I like kept pace. I was like, <gasps> right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, right. And and so yeah, right. And so like that's that's the that's that's the magic of Pyjor. It's like uh, the magic of Pyjor. Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. He's uh, I don't know what that is. Um, It's the magic of Pyjor. Yeah, no. I was yeah. I was just trying to find like an analogy or something. Like um, I want to I want to say I want there to be an analogy because I am in that same boat. But I also don't want there to be one for the pureness of yeah. That's fair. It's just the magic of Pyjor. Like Newman is Newman's kind of like jazzy. He's like this unattainable level of cool. <laughs> he is. That's true. You know, there's like something, everybody knows it, Matt. Yeah, I mean, and and he's very generous on stage too. Like he will take care of you on stage. Oh, yeah. But like, there's still like you don't feel like the the difference being like <laughs> like Pyjor on stage. You feel like we're best friends, and then as soon as you're not on stage, you're like, oh right, we're. Mm, we're in separate universes. <laughs> yeah. And Newman, you're like on stage and off stage. You're like, I'm not sure where I stand here. <laughs> I'm not sure. I feel kind of good and kind of scared. Like, in, you know, like in both places. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, like Katie in both places, you're like, she's just the best. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, it's, it's so funny because this is the part of the show that gets real inside. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm always, always here for it. Mm-hmm. Especially because, uh, I have gotten to do episodes with two of them, mm-hmm. and I did a live one with all of them, actually. Um, and when I bring Newman on, eventually, I know I'm going to bring it up. Mm-hmm. I know I'm going to bring it up. It's going to happen. Yeah, you should. I should, because I feel like it's such a relevant thing. And and it's so funny, because we, right now, we bring it to ourselves, mm-hmm. but like they have hundreds of people that they have to deal with. Yep. And I don't mean it have to deal with in a bad way, but like hundreds of people who have similar thoughts, right. who have similar interactions. Mm-hmm. And like, I've never taken a class from any of them. I actually, sorry, I took I took five on one with five on one with Newman. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time I ever like really got to like talk to him. Mm-hmm. But I feel like it, one of the things that I do love talking to them about it is because you get that perspective. 
Right. It's like I bring a lot of other people on who are part of the many, mm-hmm. but when you get people who are part of the few, I think that's kind of circling back now where it's like when you have the few on, that's where it gets weird. That's where I'm out of my element right? because I can talk to the many because I'm part of the many. Mm-hmm. But when you look at the few, it's way different. Yep. And I don't think I've ever been able to uh, put it as eloquently as that. Yeah, right. Exactly. Well, and it's like, I don't think anybody thinks about this, about Katie or David or Matt, but I will say when I hang out, like when I'm there, like if I'm not performing with them, Mm -hmm. if I'm just there for a riot and they're part of big bosses Mm -hmm. and like, we'll go out back afterwards and hang out in the alley. Like I don't ever think about it because it's like, it's just Katie and it's just David and Matt's there. It's just Matt kind of thing. But like when I really do think about it, if I were to, like, if I was doing a, what was I thinking? Mm-hmm. Or if I'm in the riot or yep. whatever it would be, like, that's when it, that's when it's, it's relevant and I'm thinking about it. Yeah. Here's, here's what I think. Like, um, so I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to guess because you're terrible at movies that you've uh, never seen the movie swingers. Nope. Yeah. I, you could have made that up. <laughs> I'm not making it up. It's a great movie. You should check it out. It's a lot of fun. I don't know how well it holds up. It was very 90s. It was very specific to the 90s. It was hey, about hey, the... Hey, s- hey, 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 I said I was a big fan of Cocktail. I love <laughs> 90s movies, okay? Is that an 80s movie? I don't yes. know. <laughs> yes, it was. Um, when, how old is Tom Cruise? He's actually pretty old. Um, he doesn't look it. Um, but uh, 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 yeah, Watch Wingers is a great movie. Um, but I'll tie it back in a second. What was I going to say besides Wingers? Oh, the other thing I was going to say is I've actually been playing... Um, I've actually been playing Dungeons and Dragons for about a year now. Uh, oh, I've been so finding jealous. it very I got, interesting. I got in one campaign and yeah. died quickly. Oh, it's yeah, it's great. And I think like more impro- I'm so, I'm 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 not surprised that there are some improvisers that are interested in Dungeons and Dragons like we have, you know, a a, a sometime show at the theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, around Dungeons and Dragons, rule four, right? Exactly. Um, and then, but, shout out to Adam. Yeah, so I'm not surprised at all that some people are, and I'm actually more surprised that more people aren't. Um, and actually, I know Ash uh, from the stand-up mm-hmm. world who has done stuff with the Coalition just wrote an article for RVA Mag about mm-hmm. how Dungeons and Dragons is kind of gaining popularity. I would tell like anybody who's like, if you've ever even considered for a second playing Dungeons and Dragons and you're into in- improv, do it because yes. it turns out that this is what Dungeons like. Forget all the fantasy nerd, anything else that you have attached to Dungeons and Dragons. Ignore all that. What Dungeons and Dragons is, what it is, it's collaborative storytelling. That's yes. what it is. When it's good, it's and because. Interactive. When it's good, it's because everybody on the table wants to tell a good story together. And when it's bad, it's because somebody at the table or multiple people at the table aren't on the same page. Anyway, I said, they're not focused on telling a good story. They're focused on their character. Yeah, right. Something. Yeah, they're not on the same page. Um, if to break it down in improv terms, they're more focused on personal game versus scenic game. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Um, but, but but I bring up Dungeons and Dragons to say I think um, Katie and David and Matt are high charisma players. Yeah. And charisma in Dungeons and Dragons cuts two ways. There are two proficiencies. There are, there are many proficiencies, but there are two proficiencies in, in, in Dungeons and Dragons that are associated with charisma. There's persuasion and there's intimidation. Ooh. And I think the most intriguing people, the people that, that are most able to um, inspire a following, um, get a following, uh, organize people behind a common cause are people that can ride that line. Again, no right answer. It's not right to be persuasive or intimidating. <laughs> it's being able to ride that balance. And I think it's the people that can skillfully ride that balance of like, do I like that person or am I scared of that person? I think it's both. Yeah. And I think all three of them 
are, are like that. Like there are just three high charisma players. And I think it's like, because you know, you've met great improvisers. They could have never started a theater. Yeah. That's a different skill. It's very different <laughs> to be funny on stage than to consistently get people together Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, yeah. and be funny in a space and pay bills. Well, to even bring it back, like, and make sure the trash gets taken out and make sure the lights work. The lights That's a work, different scale. And there are people performing that right. night. Exactly. So like working at Figs, like to bring it way back yeah. to like hour one. Like, exactly. I knew the, the, the people who ran that and they now have like, they have Echo's Pizza now and mm-hmm. they have a, like a Figs, the thing in like a market kind of thing. They have a lot of things going on. Yeah. And so the kind of people who can run those things, like, mm-hmm. I'm attempting to do that with like the RVA podcast network. Yeah. And it's so terrifying to kind of like think about like building something like that. Yep. Like, are you kidding me? Like what makes, again, kind of bringing back to the boldness thing, like what makes me think that I have any right in this community to start a community kind of thing and to see them have succeeded. Obviously. Yep. It's like you obviously hold this, this, uh, this talisman. Yes. And unfortunately, maybe for them, they can't take it off. Yes. Well, and, and I'll say, like, that's the thing that I have felt. Um, if I, I want to, like, because I feel like if anybody listens to this, it's probably more people of your generation of the theater than New Wave. Yeah. And, and I think, like, I've said this to you and, and detective in practices and stuff is like, um, I think. For for whatever reason, maybe it's like the like proximity of time or um, any, I don't know what it is, but like we were always we I don't know like we always uh, I don't know like I consider myself like somebody broke this down. Maybe it was you thought about like talking about the waves. Like I always consider oh, myself yeah, the waves. I always consider myself third wave coalition. First, so <laughs> I feel like if someone's talking about the waves, yeah. Your your wave is wave one, and everything else is old wave. Yeah, which like that's just somebody that hasn't been around long enough. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I'm, I'm not here to be proud of the fact that yeah, yeah. that everyone is lumped into one wave, but that's how it is for people of my yeah, generation. I get it. I'm at the end of the current wave. The wave that I'm in, I'm at the very, I'm in the newest of that wave. Yeah, and then there's a new wave beyond that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, so from my perspective, and again, like anybody that's been around longer than me can probably will probably say I'm an idiot, but like my perspective was there was the there was the um, Richmond Comedy Coalition ensemble cast that yeah. was first wave and then they did a, I, I like I, I think it, like this is a good objective definition like a, an objective definition is like every time they've done auditions and so like they had the ensemble cast which you know like came together over time but it was you know these people that spun out from um, from comedy sports um, and they were doing shows haphazardly like catches cash can like in weird art spaces and stuff and then they did their first round of auditions and they cast karate practice karate practice to me is second wave that's Corey Alley that's uh, Joey Tran that's um that's so funny that you group them that way yeah uh, I mean I, 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 cause I'm, gonna, I, I'm gonna pause this real quick let me go to the restaurant real quick okay are we back <laughs> we're back we got it okay okay that was a great bathroom break <laughs> I haven't I haven't done a lot of uh, bathroom breaks honestly. Like uh, if the, if if Hambright's episode is anything, if Hambright's episode is anything, it's uh, 
I don't. So, <laughs> my first indie team was named Tiny Bladders because I <laughs> pee fourteen times a day, kind of thing. Sure. Um, damn. Okay, it feels disingenuous to not recognize that we just went over like two minutes of. Uh, your go-to breakfast, and it didn't record. So we're going to jump right into it. You're going to go through it real quick. He puts no greens in his smoothies when he does smoothies during the hot weather. Mm-hmm. Uh, real quick, just hit me with that. Yeah, so my smoothie recipe is um, it's all fruit-based. Uh, it's uh, frozen banana, frozen blueberry, frozen strawberry, and then depending on what I can get, either frozen mango or frozen pineapple. Sure. Uh, and then for your liquid, to make sure that that blends nicely, you're going to use either... Um, uh, one could use dairy milk, although I use uh, a nut milk, like an alm- almond milk or cashew milk, uh, or uh, flaxseed milk. Um, uh, yeah, and that's a smoothie recipe. And then in uh, w- and then in colder weather, steel cut home, oats, steel cut oats, uh, steel cut oats. Uh, the oats. Uh, if you're if you're not uh, if you don't know of steel cut oats, then the oats that you are familiar with are rolled pressed oats, um, which. Uh, or exactly as they said, they've been uh, rolled and pressed so that they're flat little pieces of cardboard with no texture. Um, uh, <laughs> you should be looking at steel cut oats. The reason people don't use steel cut oats is because they take longer to cook, uh, and we as Americans value convenience over good taste. We do, we do, we do. So many things. Yep. Um, so get steel cut oats. Uh, I use a, a yeah. You 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 referenced mm-hmm. during the non-recorded uh, part, which I'm like. <laughs> I'm like looking all the time. Uh, Japanese recipe. Well, it's not a Japanese recipe. I, I utilize a, a, a oh, piece. No, that, of, that's right. That's right. I utilize a piece of Japanese technology. I use a um, a Japanese rice cooker uh, by the manufacturer Zojirushi. Um, uh, a Zojirushi a rice cooker, um, which uh, has a couple of nice features. It cooks uh, almost any grain to perfection, uh, and it will do it on a timer function so that you can say, like, I'm going to, I'm going to give you Zojirushi, these, uh, oats and, uh, this water and the salt, uh, at, uh, eight o'clock in the evening the night before. And I would like these oats to be ready at six to 10 a.m. uh, the next morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it will figure out, uh, all the math and science behind the scenes so that at six ten a.m. you have perfectly cooked steel cut oats into which I add uh, banana, uh, a dried fruit, either raisins or dried cherries, uh, uh, maple syrup or honey syrup, uh, maple syrup or honey alternatingly. Uh, and there's something I'm forgetting. Um, I do love, I'm going to stall so you can figure out what you're forgetting. I do love that there is still some variety in your regimented yeah. breakfast. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like, um, Probably for the summer, too, there's, like, sometimes you're like, I want this and not this. But other days, I want that but not this. Yeah, like so many things in, in, uh, in my uh in my praxis, uh, I, I need a, I need a regimen, but I need some sort of, uh, variance in that regimen. Uh, the fruit smoothies, I, I vary between, uh, uh, mango and pineapple. Um, uh, and then in my oatmeal regimen, I vary between, uh, um, raisins and dried cherries. Um, oh yeah, and of course, the other thing in uh, in yes. um, in in the oatmeal is uh, some sort of a fruit preserve. Uh, sometimes a four fruit preserve, sometimes just strawberry, sometimes uh, raspberry. I feel like you've opened the game for me a little bit, but I'm probably <laughs> too lazy to do anything about it. 
Like the the fact that you have this cooker that prepares it for you overnight. I'm just like, I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm there yet. Yeah, I need something that I can throw into a blender and will be blended yeah. in five to ten minutes. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. interesting. I was listening to because Serpa said that she her coffee game was it Serpa's coffee game is strong. Somebody's coffee game was strong. You were asked if they did a French press, and they said no, they didn't do a French press. I think that was Anthony because I've seen he has a French press at his home. Okay, I didn't listen to either of the Anthony ones. I, I forget who it was, but somebody's—I I was listening to one. And I was like, "Oh, coffee game strong," um, because they said they did a pour over. Oh, so this is one. Of, I think it was Nelson because I. Yes, it was Nelson. It was Nelson. It was totally Nelson. Uh, full disclosure for everyone who's been on the show: I forget everything we talk about. Yes, but yeah, and respect to Nelson. Uh, they, one of the many things I respect about Nelson, like, have loved being uh, a teammate of his and wish I knew him better than he was. He's a fascinating character. Uh, but respect to him because Coffee Game Strong, he does a pour over and he sold his pour over not like I always sell my pour over as like a hipster douchey thing, but he sold his pour over game as like the simplest, fastest way to good, make good coffee, which it absolutely is. It's more work than dumping grinds into a Mr. Coffee and pushing a button. That's true. But it takes the same amount of time and it makes infinitely better coffee. And I'm, I'm, so that's the other thing. Like my, my, in terms of my breakfast routine, I'm, I'm very, very serious about coffee. Uh, I, um, I will drink coffee out of a coffee machine out of as like a last resort. But sure. like uh, I, uh, everybody that knows me well um, knows that uh, I describe my coffee routine as a, as a fussy coffee routine. I drink fussy coffee. I would expect nothing less from you. Yeah. But also like, I, I gotta ask, like when you get to work, like you're not bringing supplies to make your second cup. Yeah, I don't make a second cup at, at work. Um, I, I um, uh, so my, so I, I guess the infinitely better coffee is good enough for one cup kind of thing. Yeah, and I make a large cup. Like I, we have uh, a shout out to Zojirushi, apparently unofficial sponsor of this episode. Um, I have Zojirushi travel coffee mugs that 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 keep coffee hot for a very long time. So what I what. It, of a morning that uh, I have uh, all the time that I want, I will uh, make a full Zojirushi for me and for my lady friend, um, and those will sit. And then if I have the time, I will make a uh, a pour-over into just a mug uh, that I will enjoy before I go to work. So I'll have a full mug of coffee before I go to work, and then I'll have uh, 20 ounces of coffee to Ooh. take with me uh, to work. So I'm assuming you take your coffee black. Yes. Yeah, uh, you're one of those. Yes, uh, I, I want to. I I so mm, Scott, I so badly want to be one of those. Have you? All right. So, have you had a pour over coffee from? Uh, my recommendation would be Alchemy, but uh, Alchemy or Lamplighter or I'm I. I have a weird upbringing with food in my palate. I need sweetness. <laughs> I need, yeah, the bitterness does not sit well. But you enjoy this. You you you've enjoyed the the Maserati. Let's say let's let's use the term enjoyed lightly. <laughs> you've you've suffered the Maserati. It was more like sip in my face, Politely. which I hid behind the mic. Was like, ah, ah and then I took a sip of the, the the course banquet, and I was like, I can get through this. Okay, good, good, good. Okay, so here's what I want you to do. Um, 
uh, pour a little Coors Banquet into your glass and uh, swish it around a little bit, and uh, and drink that back. We're just rinsing the glass here. We're just getting the flavors out of the out of the glass. Go so yeah. Go ahead and do that, and I will join you. Oof. And now what we're going to do is we're going to have a little Ramazzotti straight. Oh, just straight. Uh, this is actually this is less strong um, than than the uh, the than the mix. The mezcal is much stronger than uh, than the uh, Ramazzotti by itself. So um, I'm gonna I'm gonna teach you uh, to enjoy uh, a, a bitter flavor profile. I feel like the bitters the bitter profiles are where the the good stuff is at. <laughs> It's um, so it ties into my theory that everything is is dynamic, right? Yeah. Um, it makes all the sense in the world that we want sweet things when we're young. When we're young, we're growing. I'm still uh, a child in my mind. Right, but this is absolutely. This is not even philosophical. This is physical. Mm-hmm. When you're young, you're growing. You need all the calories you can get. And in nature, uh, bitter is a sign of um, poisons and toxins. Uh, for the most part, um, if you were a, uh, a, a nomadic person of some sort of uh, 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 paleolithic lifestyle uh, and you tasted something bitter, you would reject it and you would be smart to do so. Because for the most part, bitter things uh, are bad for you. Mm-hmm. The, the the thing is, like as we've become civilized, as we've extended our life expectation beyond 25 and 30 years of age... Um, uh, we've become bored with the things that are good for us, uh, <laughs> and we want to try things that are not necessarily good for us, and that's where we've developed an appreciation for bitter, uh, for for bitter flavors. That's where the whole craft beer IPA thing comes exactly. in. Exactly. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it makes all the sense in the world that um, most people, uh, with without an attempt to de- develop a palate, are interested only in sweet things or simple carbohydrates. Um, that's why we all love French fries. We all love carbohydrates. Uh, but like, uh, and like, and almost all kids hate broccoli, but like, as you grow older, many people develop an appreciation for broccoli. Mm. Uh, not everybody. Super tasters, by the way. Super tasters. Yeah. Super tasters are people who are genetically, um, gifted with, um, uh, palates that, um, uh, sense things to a, at a level that, uh, not everybody senses. Um, and they taste bitter flavors more strongly than the rest of us. Uh, they're relatively rare. Um, uh, these are the people, uh, the, not everybody, but the people that hate cilantro, there are many people who hate cilantro and they it say, it tastes like soap. Yeah, exactly. The people who say cilantro tastes like soap, they are super tasters. Oh, if cilantro tastes like soap to you, you are a super taster. Would they, would they also be the kind of person who would enjoy hot sauce? Spicy. Uh, the that, spicy th- side of taste. I think that's that's independent. They would they they may be more likely to enjoy hot sauce because like they're looking for variation and they're never going to get that variation from bitter because bitter is always going to taste terrible to mm-hmm. them. And so like spice is like uh, a variation that they can handle. Um, but yeah, I mean there are plenty plenty of people, me included, who are not super tasters who who enjoy spice. I'm just, and th- this is going to really show where I am. I'm distrusting of anything that is served in a glass, but like the glass, this is, this is a, an appropriate serving size for this beverage, right? Yep. And this is like one sixteenth full. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. For the audience at home, we're drinking out of, um, they're almost like juice jars or something. They're like a very standard glass. Um, and, uh, it's a scant, scant pour. It's probably a half ounce. 
ten. This is a ten ounce cup, mm-hmm. and that's not even an ounce. <laughs> yeah, it's probably a half ounce. Half ounce, yeah. Um, so but, you sip, right? Yeah, I mean that's an amount that you could knock it back if you wanted to, but feel free to sip. Um, yeah, I mean the thing about Amari, like I, I, I like to use them as like a gauge of uh, of people, like sort of like how open to experience are you? Because like certainly the predominant flavor profile is bitter. Like what makes Amari Amari is that they are bitter um, Italian liqueurs. Um, but there's a lot more going on. They're very complex. There's there's a, there's a ton of things going on. There's caramel flavors. There's herbal flavors. Um, so like people that just like taste it and go, oh, gross! I never want another sip of this. Like I'm like, okay, that's where you are. Uh, and then people that that taste it and go like, wow, that's a lot. Uh, I go, okay, that's where you are. And then people that go, oh my gosh, that's delicious. I go, oh, okay, that's where you are. That's so interesting because I don't picture myself in any of the latter two, but like. I, I took a sip. I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. And then you said caramel. And I'm like, do I taste caramel? You said herbs. I'm like, do I taste herbs? And I'm like, <laughs> I got all of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I enjoyed this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's Ramzadi by itself. I, w- I would also su- suggest in a similar vein, uh, Chinar and uh, Averna, uh, two very Words good. Words I won't remember. <laughs> yeah, uh, two very good uh, um, um, uh, Italian Amari. Okay, uh, I'm going to turn back on you because I'm curious. Yes, please. Oh, this the thing is, is I feel like um, you know it's a good one when when the guest has questions. Yeah, well, and this is self serving. This is this is how I planned to um, to talk about myself, but then to turn it back on you. <laughs> I'm going to ask you. This is this this is the segment that we call uh, enough about me. What do you think about me? Um, <laughs> I'm curious um, because. Uh, when I came on as coach of detective, mm-hmm. um, I had not been um, a very constant presence at the theater. I felt like a lot of people uh, on detective uh, were wondering, who the hell is this guy? So I'm curious as to uh, both your perception and then to the extent that anybody else on the team uh, spoke with you about their perception of uh, 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 who the hell is running this team that we just got drafted to. The initial response. Yeah. Uh, okay. So here's here's here here I'll I'll, uh, I'll break it down for you. So uh, you remember that our interaction when um, calls were being made was you left me a voicemail. I left you a voicemail, and then you call me back. Mm-hmm. I had just finished recording an episode, Nicole Nielsen's episode. We had literally just finished, and I had planned to go to the gym afterwards. <laughs> I was going to do like a light workout. And uh, episode finished, missed the call from you, still have the voicemail, <laughs> still have it, uh, one I will never delete. And uh, I had no idea who you were. <laughs> You're right. If that's if that's the answer you wanted, I had no idea. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think I preferred that. I think that was way better. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't know who Aaron was, and then the other coaches were Elliot, who I knew, and Casey, who I knew. I knew yep. of them. Yep. Um, if only because I saw Elliot spit vodka in t- directly into Casey's eyes <laughs> at KGB, <laughs> one of my favorite shows. Sure. Um, yeah, I guess that was a tough first slate of of, uh, of coaches. I think we were all kind of sleepers. I mean, Casey and Elliot would have been the most prominent. They they were the most prominent because um, they're they're like they're on teams that are around. Yeah, currently, and Casey was like very active, very active. Yeah, at the time, um, I, I would say, and 
being so new and seeing so many different shows, because I saw a lot of shows, like, as much as the Johnsons is my, like, spirit team, the <laughs> team I relate to the most. Yeah. Um, and especially now, I'm way closer with members of the Johnsons. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think I really caught on at the time. Because mm-hmm. I was still, I think I was in, I think I was in 301 at the time. Mm-hmm. And so, I know, of course, Gantz was, like, pushing his team. Because um, they really represented the material. Mm-hmm. Like, even if you just pull back... Uh, fucking Gantz pushing, go see the Johnsons kind of thing. Um, you guys do represent the Fair One material very well. Um, so yeah, I had no idea who the hell you were. <laughs> um, I had no idea who that. I honestly, yeah. So the the funny thing is the auditions, and I we talked about this before. Is like I went because I wanted the experience of auditioning. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. I had no expectations to make a team. Yep. And uh, I remember the first thing. You, the first thing. One of the first things you said was like if you're on this team, it's because you make great support moves. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that, that has been a huge identity to me Mm -hmm. as an improviser. Um, but like, yeah. And then the first, I think the first, the first meeting going to your house, I literally, I was, I got out of my car to go to walk into your home. And when I got into that car, I was in Charlotte, North Carolina. So, like, I had driven, like, four hours to go to that initial meeting. Wow. And I remember the first, the you had, like, you had like whole spread, and I was not hungry, but I ate a bunch. <laughs> and I had an IPA. I remember you had, like, uh, three-notched. Yeah, it was, like, a yeah, three-notched variety pack, yeah. And I don't typically like those, mm-hmm. but I enjoyed what I had. Mm-hmm. And, uh... The meeting went well. Mm-hmm. It was a really, I felt comfortable. I was like, I didn't know any of these people because I was still very new at the theater. Like right. I didn't, I didn't have like real friends. The one friend I had was like Matthew, right. who I live with now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so from there, it was like, I dealt with a lot of imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. Like that, that was my experience. Right. But my experience with you was always like. Well, kind of, kind of what we talked about in the beginning where it's like, I had these expectations where I was like, I, I think I operate better under someone who's very strict, like an Elliot, like with resident ghost, he ran a very specific format mm-hmm. and looking back, I would not have done well mm-hmm. in that format. Right. I mean, I probably, probably would have been fine, but like, I think I grew way better under your direction of just like we're getting lost together kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, as a team, we're going to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, I think that about sums up my experience because from then on, it was like, I did have a lot of, I did have a lot of worry about format, but I think so the, the, and this is, this was way too late to, to, to be fair. But remember the, do you remember the 10 o'clock show we did? Cause the, the pride sketch show was at eight. Okay. So we so the riot fell at ten. Yeah. And we did a ten o'clock show. Right. When we did that show, it was like one of our weirdest shows. I feel like Saturday tens are weird. Yes. Um, especially when you don't have the coverage of uh, horse apples, deli rats, or sure. hearse girls. Yeah. When it's when it's something that's not normally in mm-hmm. that spot. Yeah. We had a weird show. I think that was Pride. That was Pride weekend, and. Uh, 
I was probably fairly drunk for that show. I was probably like decently like able to perform, but also like uh, encouraged by inebriants. Yep. Um, but it was such a fun show, and and that was the moment where I really, really appreciate. That was like our third to last show. Mm-hmm. That was where I really appreciated your guidance as a coach, and I think a lot of us did too, because it was like it was a true representation of like this is what we've become. Mm-hmm. This this is what detective is. Yeah, is this this set like detective fits mm-hmm. at a, at a ten o'clock? We we kill at an eight, but like. Our home might be in a Saturday at ten kind of yeah. thing. I don't know if any of the other eight agree with me, but like I had I felt the most comfortable at that show. And and then the two shows after that I felt really comfortable too because I was like, Oh, I know where we are as a team. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's like that that for sure I I, <coughs> I don't remember specifically the audience reaction to that show, but um just as like, as like a general thought, that's like another sign of a um a very successful team I think is like when you have a show for an audience that's maybe not particularly engaged um, and, and you come away from that show going like uh, well the audience wasn't really into that but uh, that's a good show yeah. um, you know like when you when you feel without any I mean so much of this is like riding on like audience feedback but like when you can have like an audience that's relatively unengaged or, or small or yeah unresponsive and and you can feel like uh you know, I mean, it's like this one of the things. Like, it sounds like a cheesy, cheesy aphorism, but um, it's it's totally true. I mean, it's you know, it's the it's the note that I try to give myself anytime I see a, a small house. It's like you just give each other a good time, make each other laugh. Oh my gosh, yeah. So that was that was one of the big things about that show where mm-hmm. it was like, um, I think maybe it was because because riot draws a great crowd, mm-hmm. um, and and having to do a riot at ten where the crowd is smaller, people are out celebrating pride, kind of thing. Um, it was probably one of the first real, real testaments of like, we are out here for each other. Like mm-hmm. this is a team sport. And as much as we do feed off the audience to like, look for edits or look for what we want to touch on again. Like when, when you don't have that feedback, it's like, okay, well, what do we do now? And we thrived. And then that's what I'm saying. We thrived in that time slot because we had had all of the, uh, journey before that mm-hmm. and that's where i was like we are a complete team yep. like whoever's there whoever's not i know that no matter what we will put on a hell of a show mm-hmm. and if that's only to us like i totally fine yep and that was that that 10 o'clock show was probably the best detective show that like nobody saw <laughs> and then we had two great other shows i think we had i think we had the next uh one more weekend show, or that might have been the last one. I don't remember. Um, but like, then we had the everybody riot, mm-hmm. and it was just like, uh, just just a great, just a great way to cap off. Because like everything else that happened before that was whatever it was. It was kind of. Uh, I know for the first part, it was like just coinciding with everything else, mm-hmm. which I feel like was everybody's kind of experience. Like this is the thing I'm doing. I'm also doing this. I'm also doing this. But like the the end of it was like. Yeah, that's what I'm doing. Oh, also, I have a couple other things I'm doing, but like that's the number one thing. Yep. And that's the that's the unfortunate but also fortunate beauty of the six month house team run that they're yep. doing now, where like you 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 get your stride in month five. 
Yeah, it's um, it's hard for me because like um, we were so hesitant to do it. My generation, and then um, it, it's funny. Like my my wave, the third wave. Oh, that's what we were talking about when we um, waves when we got cut off, right? Um, so first wave was the the coalition ensemble, which like. Yeah, those guys were the total package because, like, they're all incredibly talented performers. They've been for 10-plus years each. And they created a theater on mm-hmm. their own. They just, like, decided to create a theater. Like, everything that is the coalition started from them. Um, and then second wave was karate practice, which is, like, really fascinating. Like, it's a fascinating mix of people that are still around and people that aren't around anymore. Um, one of the posters on your wall, I don't know if you know, I saw that you guys have, like... Um, the uh, full range of Nightmare on Broad Street posters. Mm-hmm. The first Nightmare on Broad Street poster is um, uh, was done by Chris Visions, yep. um, who is not active with the theater anymore, but is an incredibly successful comic book artist. Um, uh, fascinates me. Um, the people that 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 have been through the theater that aren't with the theater anymore. Uh, anyway, and so like I consider myself third wave, and so like from third wave, I feel like the third wave we were very awed by the people that came before us, um, and we felt like we couldn't really ask much of them. Mm-hmm. Like we were grateful for everything we got, and we didn't really feel entitled to ask for anything more, um, and we were happy with what we got, and that was. Like to me, like the anxious person that is the people pleaser, that was a comfortable place to live, but it wasn't a productive place to live because I always thought um, they had been like the 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 leader the the sort of the 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 founding members the avant garde had been preaching since day one like like this is your theater this is not our theater like do what you want to do and we kept waiting for direction for, for the most part like there were always people who were pushing but like as a generation like we were never um uh uh pushing and then the subsequent ways i felt like were pushing harder but they were also looking for approval or like a green light or like karate practice and all them and no 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 like the people after okay, us okay. like were looking for like we we would do the the hey everybody meetings and they were like um you know like well why doesn't the theater put this together and it's like just put it together you don't need the you don't need Newman to tell you to do it you don't need Katie to tell you to do it just do it um and I feel like that's we're getting past like the um, like people are just doing stuff, which is good. That's definitely one aspect of uh, that's something I covered in Pyro's episode, but mm-hmm. also I've talked to founders and whoever about. It's like we we created the theater in an attempt to create a community in this city. Yep. which is one of the big big inspirations about trying to do that with podcasting, but like. Yeah, you don't need permission to put on an improv show at Gallery 5. Right. Like you can do that, and they will be thrilled. Mm-hmm. And they will happily, if they can go, they'll go, and they'll hashtag RVA Comedy, because it's not... RVA Comedy isn't a coalition. RVA Comedy is Richmond Comedy. Yep. They want to see a scene here. Yep. And that's uh, just like exactly what you were getting, what you were coming to, and I feel like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Like, yeah, exactly. And this is this is exactly what you said. But just like Newman has said specifically, this that like the Richmond comedy scene will be better when somebody says the Coalition Theater 
is not where I need to do improv, and they start their own theater. Yeah. And both theaters are successful. I feel like it's very hard to do, but that's so true. Well, like we said, I mean, it's like, it's a very different thing to, to be funny on stage and to start a theater. <laughs> two very different things. It takes but. a different skill set. Yeah. Yeah. But. All right. <clears throat> so outside of music, we talked about music. Outside of music, who are your guys? Outside of music, who are my guys? What else? Yeah. What else? Uh, what else do you get excited about? What else like uh, fires you up? Um, woof. Let me think. Comedy, obviously. Pete Holmes is absolutely one of my guys. Mm-hmm. Like, here, here, okay. Oh uh, no, no. I want to go back to music for a second. Okay. okay. So maybe this is Kings of Leon. Hopefully it's not. But like, uh, I had this experience recently, <clears throat> and I, I'd be curious, like, how you would act in this uh, in scenario. <clears throat> um, you've had uh, a few beers. Maybe you've had a few Maseratis. Um, uh, you're feeling pleasantly buzzed. You're like, not sure if you're too drunk. Like maybe you're too drunk. Maybe you need another beer. Get out of my head, Scott. <laughs> Get out of my fucking head. Uh, but so you're in that headspace, yep. uh, and, and, and people are playing music and they're like putting stuff on and they're like, Oh, I'm going to play this song. I'm going to play that song. And like every song, like sometimes you're like, yeah, that's an okay song. And sometimes you're like, what the fuck would they play that song? And like the whole time, like people are passing on this playlist. You're just kind of like this, this, this tension is building up in you of like, I want to play this song one, because I want to hear it, but two, because I think it's going to be the right song for this scene. Like what song is that? Like there's like three or four people that are playing songs that are like kind of pissing you off and kind of like, you're like, these are okay. And but you're like, I'm going to fix this. What song do you, uh, I'm going to, f- so am I going to fix this? Oh yeah. my gosh. You, so you're, you're one attempting to please yourself and two attempting to do okay. something that's going to, that's also going to win the crowd. So I'm going to start this off by saying, um, I made the semi splurge purchase to purchase AirPods. Yeah. Um, great. Apple's wireless headset. Great. Uh, uh, great piece of tech. I think that, uh, if you listen to music as much as I do, it's an, it's an, it's instantly a goodbye mm-hmm. uh, i like to attribute a goodbye by saying like every time something good happens when you're using them you chalk up a dollar and then once you reach 160 <laughs> uh you you uh, validate your purchase sure and i've validated my purchase three times over by now agree um one of my favorite things to do with those headphones is give one to somebody else mm. And uh, I've done this on several occasions. I love uh, this. Oftentimes, Anthony and I will bike because we bike to the theater a lot. Yes. Like, most times. So we'll share music. I love everything about this. It's so good. And there have been other times where like, I was hanging out at Quirk and I gave uh, one of my friends one of them. Or like, out, oftentimes, if you're out back in the theater, I will 30% of the time have one in my ear and I'm trying to find somebody else to jam with me. Yes. And one of the great things is uh, when you put on, when you like curate your cue yeah. and people are like, oh, I like this. Yes. And then the next time comes up, oh, you're killing it right now. Yes. Um, yes. This is exactly what I was going for. Exactly. However, I feel like, so what I'd like to do with my music to bring it to a separate place away from, from the, the idea of that is I will, um, I will seek out new music and I will add it to a playlist mm-hmm. and I won't let that playlist exceed a hundred songs. Okay. And I do my best to make sure that there are no duplicate artists mm-hmm. in that playlist. So mm-hmm. I have a hundred songs per playlist of different artists. Art is defined by its limitations. Exactly. <laughs> so... 
I um, currently I'm on nine playlist nine. Okay. Um, over the past couple months, where the AirPods have this this whole AirPods thing has come into play, seven, eight, and nine. So those three playlists are three playlists that I would feel mostly comfortable. There are a lot of songs in those that I'm like, yes, and there are a lot of songs in those that I'm like, that's for me. Mm-hmm. Nobody else will like this. Yep. Um, <clears throat> so the first song that I would put on at a place party, whatever it is, yep, that I want to like. See what everyone responds to. Sure thing by Miguel. I have no idea what that song is. It's a it's a good vibe. Okay. It's it never it never takes you over the top. It kind of keeps you static, mm-hmm. but static in the way that's like everyone's like, I don't know this song, but I'm vibing with it. Um, kind of a mellow like beach vibes kind of a thing. Uh, yeah, more of a hip hop beach beach vibes. Okay. Um, that's the first song I'd put on. And then I think being in the headspace I'm in now, assuming that I'm in that headspace when I'm picking songs, I would pick one of those playlists and I would like scroll through and find what songs. Mm-hmm. Cause again, these are all, all three of those are playlists where I've just put it on shuffle and, or I've curated, but like one of the two where I've gotten like instant good feedback when the song starts are like, Okay, here for this. Glad I have this in my left ear. Yep. You have it in your right, kind of thing. Um, sure thing, my Miguel is the number the number one song. Um, I'd be hard pressed. I'd, I'd I'd be foolish not to mention uh, Rainbow Kitten Surprise. Um, this band that Anthony was the first person to introduce me to, but like a couple people in our kind of crew are really into this band. Okay. They're not what they sound like based on the artist title, but like (laughs) they have so many good songs. Like they really are. I feel like one of the one artist that I really appreciate as an ensemble who just do some weird shit. They're very lyric heavy. Some songs just have weird timing Mm -hmm. and it's one of those things where you're like, I appreciate this because it's unlike other things I listen to mm-hmm. kind of thing. So I might throw one of those in, um, but that might be after like three or four good ones. And then typically people who, if I'm curating a place at that point, they'd be like, all right, well, if, I, if they don't appreciate that, they're like, okay, that's fine. One bad one. That's fine. What's next? And then I put on a safe pick kind mm-hmm. of thing after that. But those are, those are the first two thoughts that I have, but I have a lot of good, like songs that, are just for me random that I've never heard the artist before that I just like, this has a good vibe and I throw that in, mm-hmm. which is, I think the beauty of these playlists that I have, I call it, I call it the, uh, if you like it. And mm-hmm. then I do like 1.0, 2.0 and it's, it's meant to be like a, I like this song. So it goes in the playlist kind of thing. Good. Is that the answer you're looking for? Yes. That's exactly the answer I was looking for. <clears throat> do you have, um, uh, this is the language nerd in me. Like, so you're like you're not a big movie guy, but are there like movie scenes that stick out to you, or like um, speeches or oratory or anything like that 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 stick out for you? What does oratory mean? Just people speaking, like a, a speech or reciting a poem, or I think they are. I think that there are. The first thing, so. I don't like this because I don't think it holds up now. My favorite movie for a long time, and I think it still technically counts as my favorite movie because I don't, I can't name another one. Um, Stranger Than Fiction, Will Ferrell. Yeah, yeah, okay. 
that movie really hits a lot of tones that I think are very relevant for me. I mm-hmm. can really relate to the main character in that story. Yeah. But there's this one scene where, so it's the, he's an IRS agent mm-hmm. and he falls in love with a baker. Yep. And he brings her, and this scene sticks out to me because I didn't get it at first and took me like several views. This is one of the few movies I've watched like multiple times. Mm-hmm. Um, he brings her this, this like box top of different kinds of flour. Um, and the scene starts with him running up, which is totally out of character for this character, which is one of the reasons why it's a big scene. Um, and he's like, he's finally going to tell her cause he has to audit her, which is why they are in contact. Um, and he's been weird up to that point. And so he has to tell her, he's telling her that he likes her. He's like, I brought you flowers. And I didn't get it at first. I thought they were like flowers that would grow out of these packages later or something right. like that. Um, I brought you flowers. F L O U R S. Yes. Yeah. And she's like, why? And he says, because I want you. And that, that is something that has definitely, the, the first, the first thought I had was that, that, yeah. It's like it's like a little bit more in depth than that. Not much more, which is why I don't like to call it my favorite movie because I feel like it's not it's not deep enough. But uh with quotations, but like uh for me that really sticks with me. It's like this really unique thing that's well thought out mm-hmm. that I completely missed. Yep. And he brings her these flowers and they're like labeled different because they're different kinds of flowers or whatever. Yep. Again, completely missed to the first time I saw that movie. Right. Um, other, other spoken word. I, uh, I went through a phase in 20, early 2017. Um, I worked at data entry job. So I had, I worked four days a week, 10 hours a day. So I could listen to whatever I want. I listened to most of the Pete Holmes, uh, I don't say discography, but like his shit. Right. I listened to a lot of that during that time. But I also, during a very emotional point in my life, I listened to a lot of spoken word poetry. Okay. And there's this, there's this poet. I, there's two, there's two I can think of. There's this one, his name's like Shane something. And he, he's a bigger dude beard. And he's using a lot of like neck beard, uh, posts. But every time that's posted as a picture of him, like doing like with like a caption over, it's like, no, this is this guy. And he's really, really good. He's like a poet. His pumps really like I love those. Yeah. Um but I don't know if this is in the vein you're re- referencing. No. And there's this other guy who's O C D and he has this one this one spoken word thing where um he talks about being in a relationship with somebody and how um it was like his one of his first relationships and how everything meant so much to him. Mm-hmm. Again, he's actually obsessive compulsive. Yeah. So like when, and it, 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 the poem kind of hits these different beats of like, we're together and then we're not together. And so the first bit is like, you appreciate all these weird things about me. Mm-hmm. And like, I think one of the things you talked about is like, I, I would kiss you and it wouldn't be right, which is the obsessive compulsive. And so he has to do it again and again until it's right. Mm-hmm. And then the second part is how taxing that was for that person. And that one just like, whoa, that hit me real, real intense. Like, yeah, um, I can't think of either of their names, but they are both at the top of the spoken word, I guess, 
community. Mm-hmm. And those are two instances of how I interpreted your question. No, those are great answers. <clears throat> um, the first one, because, uh, yeah, the, the scene from Strangers in Fiction, it's like, it's, 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 it's a clever thing. It's an arch, but I mean, it's not quite arch, but it's a, it's a clever thing. It's wordplay. Uh, it's intellectual in service of this very vulnerable, honest, emotional, uh, and that's and like, that's like, to me, that's the most powerful expression of art is like when you, when it evidences both, um, tremendous craft uh, so you can tell that, like, this is not something that anyone could do. This is something that, like, this person has spent hours developing a mechanism that allows them to do something very almost embarrassing, um, very honest. Um, and so it's like, yeah, that's the to me the 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 purest the purest expression of art. Um, and it reminds me of something that I, I wanted to say when you were talking about, um, going on stage with Pyjor and then texting about that experience to somebody who was, uh, who, whose response to that was underwhelming. I was going to say that's when, uh, you will know when you have found somebody who is worthy of your, um, time and attention. Um, like, potentially a life partner is when you can relate an experience like that, like the experience of going on with Pajor for the first time with which both you and I know exactly. Um, you can relate an experience to that and you know, simultaneously from their reaction that they have no idea what you're talking about, that like they will never know the experience of, uh, going on stage with Pyjor for the first time and feeling that cared for and that um, funny uh, and that uh, accomplished, um, you, you know they they don't know like they don't they can't process what you're saying. They, they don't have they no don't know idea who the fuck David is. But they are as delighted as you are only because you are that delighted. Yeah, that's happened to me twice. And uh, and I feel very fortunate that 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 that, that has happened to me twice. And that, like that's the sign that like this is a person that possibly you should spend the rest of your life with. When when somebody makes a bigger deal out of something that is already the biggest deal to you, yeah. When when it, when it's clear that like like uh, yeah that like you, you're like oh my god this thing happened to me and you it don't was have incredible. To know the players, you don't have to know right. the players, you don't have to know the game, but you have to know that this is something that has tickled me, right? Incredibly, yeah. yeah. That's that 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 is a true. That that I think is a common theme in both of the things I said. Where it was yep. just like, um, something underlying is way bigger than what it is. Well, it's just, yeah. I mean, again, it's like it's like what Rothko was trying to do and then missed the mark of. To me, like it's this thing of like specifically, I have no idea what you're talking about, but emotionally i know exactly where you are like yes. i i don't and i don't understand anything about your life experience my life experience has been very different than yours but i know what you're feeling right now i i don't understand how you got there but we are in the same place and i i, I will throw on um even even if that person isn't in the same place, they can still see you in that place. 
and meet you there. Well, right. Yeah. And more importantly, like this is the more important thing in terms of a life partner is like the fact that you're in that place brings them to that place. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's so funny because, uh, so uh, have you ever listened to Pete Holmes's uh, podcast? (laughs) Yeah. I dropped off like uh, a year or two ago. Um, Have you listened to all of them? I mean, yeah, I listened to all of them up I think to... I made it through like 200 of them. No, I, yeah, I, I listened to all of them for a... I was a completionist up until a year or two ago. Okay. So one of the things that he... His format is comedy sex god kind of thing. Right. Talk about funnies, talk about relationships, talk about uh, religion. Yeah. Um, my first two episodes, I kind of didn't have a format. And then the third episode, I like tried to cover all his bases and then it evolved into mostly uh, art and relationships mm-hmm. and I feel like I was getting too much into relationships but I feel like you kind of opened the safe door to relationships where it's just like this this very real idea of like uh, like you said a life partner kind of thing mm-hmm. where it's like how does it relate to the individual mm-hmm. whereas what I feel truly feel was an unhealthy view of like um, not that, mm-hmm. not like you are a person and then you find this other person kind of thing where it was like, it was almost like you find the person, other person first and then you navigate that shit where it's like, fuck that. Like you can navigate your shit again. It's probably frustrating to anybody looking for absolute answers. But to me, it's mm-hmm. a, it's, 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 it's absolutely a dynamic of like, uh, when you're talking about somebody that you're going to spend the rest of your life with or any significant portion of your life with, you have to have some commonalities. You have to be similar in some ways that are compatible. But then outside of that, you need to have somebody that um, has strengths where you have weaknesses and vice versa. They have weaknesses where you have strengths. Like It's complementary. Like, th- that way, you have enough of a shared experience that like you feel like you're on a solid footing, and then but your life together is... Um, more uh, fruitful than uh, your lives apart because like they can help you get to places you would never get beyond yourself and, and vice versa. I definitely had that experience um, with the woman I did in college, Mm -hmm. but the fuck, I'm going to forget exactly what I'm saying. Um, Oh, this is, this, this is the, the point I wanted to bring to you is almost removing it from what you were saying where like when you do these creative things and when you add more facets to your life, mm-hmm. it really complicates that. It really complicates finding someone who can fit those roles. Yes. That's it. That's all I had. <laughs> That's all I had. Yeah, absolutely. No. And, and I think the important thing there is like that you find, um, like it's in everything. It's like that, that you zoom out because like, uh, anybody that you meet, um, anybody that you spend any amount of time with, like they're going to think that some of the things that you do are dumb and some of the things that you do are great. Um, and it's that like the things that you do that they think that are dumb, if you look back and like, maybe you thought they were a great idea or maybe you thought that like, that's where you needed to go. But if you zoom back and you go like, is that getting me to where I wanted to be? Is that getting me to be the person I want to be? And you go like, Oh no. And it's like, Oh, like in that case, you're like, even though it was frustrating at the time, like I wanted to do this thing. And they said, 
eh, that's weird. And and you were like, ah, how dare you? Like I wanted to do that thing, and you didn't want me to do it. Um, and then, but like in retrospect, if you can say like, no, they saw me better than I saw myself. Like that's not a thing that I needed to be doing. That's not productive. Um, versus like you know, and then like when you're like, well, this seems like a really dumb thing to do, but I'm going to do it. And then you kind of like shamefacedly same to that person like. Uh, I did this thing. And they're like, of course you did. <laughs> and you're like, Oh, again, like they see me better than I see myself. Like, um, they know that like, even though that doesn't seem productive in the moment or it seems stupid in the moment or whatever, that's part of the path that is going to take me to where I want to go. Absolutely. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's about like, it's like, you know, like we were saying about Pyjor, it's like you feel seen, like, even though like, it's not the experience you would have planned for yourself. Um, it's the experience that you should have had. Yeah. And that's, I don't know. That's how I, 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 like, I realize that's about as helpful as like, well, you'll know when you know, but like, uh, but that's. That's that. That's the way I would think about it when you're thinking about like, uh, because I do. I don't. I don't believe in that thing of um, there's going to be this person where everything is perfect and you're always going to be happy and everything's going to feel painless and frictionless. And I don't believe in that. But because like any two people come together for any purpose, be it work or comedy or love or uh, anything, like there's always going to be friction. And the question is like. Is the friction about the small stuff or is the friction about the big stuff? And also, how do you navigate that friction? <clears throat> I feel like that plays a part in it. Yeah, and I mean, to that extent, like, I, I, you know, it's a, another one. It's not a, a big interest of mine, but it's an interest of mine. It's, it's just mindfulness, like, trying to separate your awareness from your existence. Yeah, I get that. Like, trying to be the... Um, Recognize that you have... Um, this this whole separate identity but also like you have this responsibility to this partnership mm-hmm. that you need to navigate the situation before you return like if there's a problem like there's a, let's say that there is a big yeah. problem it's like yes i'm an individual and yes i want to be that way but like mm-hmm. i have dedicated time and whatever to this other person whether it's a friend or a partner mm-hmm. it's like i owe that person getting through this yes. so that i can return to navigation Right, exactly. Like understanding it's a partnership, but even like even as outside of like relationships, like even outside of that, like um, Elizabeth Gilbert of you know, I mean, say what you will, like, but uh, of you know, the the author of Eat, Pray, Love, she said a thing that which I thought was very interesting was like, like try to be an anthropologist for yourself. Like when you find yourself upset, when you find, or I mean, any time, but like especially in difficult times, when you find yourself upset or sad or angry. Um, Try to step outside of that and without judging it, without saying like, you know, like, well, why are you so upset? Why are you so sad? Why are you so angry? Like, just like with a sense of curiosity, like try to observe yourself in the third person and say, why like, am I so upset? Well, oh, that's very interesting. Like, yeah, oh, yeah. that's very interesting. Like the, 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 the human is upset. <laughs> the human is upset. Right. Yeah. And I think it's, yeah, I think yeah. it's useful to detach in that way. Like, uh, Oh, that's very interesting. Like, why is the human upset? Like, in what other similar circumstances does the human become upset? Like, from sort of a a humanist scientific perspective. That's so interesting. I thought of another... You asked me... We got into this whole 
Um, you asked me about other language things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, what are, I, I feel like it was more of like a quotes thing. Yeah, right. I mean, like, I'm a big fan of the spoken word. So, yeah, I'm always curious, like, what, what instances of the spoken word get so, other people fired up? So I want to throw this one at you. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> this one's been a motivating factor for me since the moment I heard it, which is probably uh, 2010. Um, don't take what you do. Wait, no, don't take yourself too seriously, but take what you do very seriously. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I feel like that's, that's all you need to say is, yeah, 100%. Right. Um, that has been for me, the most important set of words that I've heard in the past 10 years. Yeah. And I think it's incredibly powerful. I mean, to me, that's the idea of craft, like that the work is valuable because of the work. Like it's not about the output, except that like you should be trying to make the output as good as as possible. But like, if you are incapable of making world-class output, that shouldn't stop you from doing it. Like, um, but also I would put to you that like, and I went through this, especially with detective and I've, I, I don't think I've shied away from talking about this before where it's just like, you have to, to create that work, you have to remove yourself or the ego from that equation because it's like, you didn't start doing that work with the same mindset you have later in doing that work. Mm-hmm. So for example, for me with detective, like when I started doing that, those shows, I guess, um, I didn't have any concept of myself as a performer. Mm-hmm. And then probably like what month four or five, I started to like get kind of an ego and like think like, Oh, I'm hot shit. I'm on a team. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I have my own show, whatever it is. And like it, it, it don't, if you, if you feel like you're full of yourself, don't worry that like, that grounding moment is coming very quickly. And I had that very strongly, but, um, I I took myself too seriously kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And the important thing with with that quote that has hit me is like, you cannot be worried about your legacy or what you are to other people. Your legacy is created by the work you do. Mm -hmm. And that is the most important thing. That is the only thing I think that a creator should be worried about is like, what am I doing? Um, because if, if I want to be a creator, if I want to be an improviser, like I always have to be focused and worried about the next show. It doesn't matter what I've done in the past. It doesn't matter what great moves or what somebody has been like, I saw that movie. Didn't I liked it? Thank you. I really appreciate it. I'm really worried about my next show yep. because I need to do good work, mm-hmm. not only for myself, but for my teammates and for the audience there, anyone who's participating in that moment. That's what that quote means to me is like, Fuck yourself. Fuck everything else. You need to be in that moment. You need to take that that twenty two minutes that as serious as possible mm-hmm. by having a good time, kind of thing. Right. Exactly. Right. That you. Yeah. You. You do have to ride that wave of like. Um, yeah. Nothing that you've done before matters, except that it got you here. Mm-hmm. Um, and nothing that you're going to do after this matters, except that it will be informed by everything that you do now. You know. Like that, like what you do now empowers what you can do later. But yeah, that, that to me has been when I can find that has always been like a, a very grounding thing like mm-hmm. that to me. I don't know. I feel like, um, the whole quote, the whole quotes about being grounded, but I feel like with the way that I operate with like how I've come to be like, 
just a good solid grounding is like exactly what I need most times. Because yeah. you, you get too much steam, you get too much going, and this is true of like I'm sure plenty of people, but like I don't know, it's that reality check, it's that it's that self awareness kind of thing where it's like, who am I but a, a component of this right. creation? And it yeah. gets even it gets even tighter when the shows are smaller, mm-hmm. or like you are in charge of something. Mm-hmm. Like doing this show, it's like it's very important that I sweep myself off the table kind of thing. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. The only thing that makes me nervous about that is like, you know, it's like, it's not bad to feel good about doing good. It's not bad to feel like you've done a good job, but yeah, right. You don't want that to influence future decisions, right? Future performances. If we're going to use that term. Yeah. I don't, I don't believe in any sort of that, uh, the self-flagellation or the guild complex or, you know, inferiority complex or any of that Mm -hmm. stuff. But, but yeah, right. Like a good mindful awareness of, yeah, like the, yeah, just like a a healthy sense of perspective. It's, it's a mindfulness thing. It's about, it's about staying, I think, I think it's about staying grounded and it, it came from, so that was a quote from Patrick Stump. Um, my number one, my guy. Yeah. But like, I think it really spoke to what he was saying of like, we have created this band and there's a lot of expectations. So I need to take that seriously. But me as an individual, like I don't need to take myself too seriously. Yeah. Like I'm a part of that band. Mm -hmm. I don't know. That to me is the most, probably the most important set of words, which I think answers your question. Yeah. Exactly. But I'll, but as much as I'm a language guy, maybe only because of your influence, um, words are hard to stick. Like a good set of words doesn't, doesn't, it's, it's gotta be real good to like lodge itself. And I think, honestly, I think a lot about, um, just this insignificant thing about the Herald that you told me, it's like the third beats where grandma meets the dinosaur or whatever, which I think is a, is a Newman quote. That's a Newman quote. It's a Newman quote. It's not a Gantz quote. No. Yeah. You have, you have that one. And then the force one, which is, is too wordy for me to, that's Pyjora. That's Pyjora. Yeah. Yeah. That that one's simple. It's, um, the, uh, balance is great, but if there was balance in the force, we wouldn't have Star Wars. Yeah. 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 Which is (laughs) just right. I mean like that, that's an important, that's an important note for improvisers because we're doing it in the moment. Um, to realize that like, uh, we need to fight against our natural instinct sometimes because like what we're creating, especially because we're improvisers, we're collaborators. Um, and we, I think a lot of people in the theater like me are, are peacemakers and, mm-hmm. and, and, um, people pleasers. But you need to understand that like what you're creating on stage, um, is drama and drama is very different. Like you're trying to capture people's interest. You're not trying to pacify a situation. Like, uh, it, I mean, uh, this is where you talk about like the levels of improv. Like mm-hmm. you are trying to pacify the situation in, in terms of like, you know, being like Pyjor, a great improviser that makes their fellow performer, feel cared for and safe. But in terms of what you're presenting the audience, you're not trying to present like stasis or, 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 uh, you know, pacifism or, uh, uh, a sense of normalcy. You want the conflict. You want absurdity and you want conflict, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, yeah. I always say in that same vein, one of my favorite things is like the best support move you can make is establishing your own thing. 
Yes. Right. Being very clear about what your character wants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to force our ending here. Good. Good. <laughs> I want to hear about your first creative moment. And just like earliest, the earliest, earliest, you, earliest you can possibly remember. Um, the earliest, mm, this is, I mean, like, and this, I, I don't even record, I, I don't, I don't have a strong memory of creating this, but I remember like, and it, it's still somewhere. I saw it not that long ago, but, um, in second grade, we had like a art class where we were making paintings and, um, and I, I made this painting of like three people on a sidewalk. I don't even remember like if the people were people I knew or if it was just something I was making up, but, um, um, I made this painting and, um, I, it was like slightly like from a second grade perspective, apparently it was like slightly sophisticated in that, like it indicated three dimensions. There was like this, mm-hmm. like the sidewalk and then the stuff, the people and the people behind the stuff. And so like they hung it up at the library and like, Ooh. it just like, it stuck with me for a long time that like, uh, so I guess like the, <laughs> the point saying like the, uh, that I am, a um, uh, 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 uh an evolved monkey, um, in that, like my, my earliest creative moment is not a moment of pure creation, but a moment of, uh, of recognition and, and, and appreciation. I'm going to force the second question because <laughs> I want to, I, re- I realized like, I want to know this too. Um, that's great because I, I don't, I can't think, I can't off the top of my head think of the first time that my creativity with quotes was recognized. Mm-hmm. So the fact that like the, one of the first moments you think of like in the, the library is a big deal. Like you knew that it doesn't matter who saw it. You knew that. Yep. Um, the last question I'll ask, the last thing we'll talk about is, uh, how did you stumble upon the coalition? How did you, how did you enter into this community? Yeah. Similar thing. <laughs> like, um, got started. So, I mean, it, it happened because of the 48-hour film festival. Are you familiar with that? I have heard about it, never participated, hopefully next year. Yeah, it's a it's a nationwide thing, but it's done city by city. Um, uh, the forty eight hour film festival is um, you said well actually and, and it's similar, but uh, it's, it's it's a different program, but it's it's similar to um, uh, what uh, the trash bank guys talked about with the um, the forty eight hour sketch thing. Sketch thing. Yeah, yeah. It's a similar thing where um, so you you sign up. Your team can be I think pretty much as big or as small as you want. You pay a, a fee um, and you sign up, and then you show up on a Friday. Um, and they give you um, all the teams that are competing get a character, a prop, and a line of dialogue that mm-hmm. you have to use. And that's how they keep you honest. So you can't write it ahead of time. Mm-hmm. And then each team selects a genre from a hat. And so like each team gets a different uh, genre of movie. Um, and... Uh, the, the guy that I was at high school with, um, my, one of my best friends from high school suggested that we do it. And, um, my, at the time brother-in-law, um, um, uh, was in, um, video production, uh, school at JMU. I was like, okay, we should get him. And then, um, I had a friend of a friend who was also in video production so roped him in and we built this sort of like group of people, um, who did the 48 hour film festival and we did it, uh, the first year we made, uh, what is to us a delightful film, but is like, you know, to an objective observer, pretty, pretty, <laughs> pretty hard slug. I'd love um, to see this. Scott. It was, uh, it was our version of robo jocks. 
Um, it was robo jocks, but with pillow fighting. So it was the, the, the idea being that like, uh, international conflicts would be solved by each nation, uh, selecting a champion and those champions engaging in pillow fighting. And whatever the result of that, uh, battle was, uh, international conflict would be resolved. Um, uh, so uh, we made that, and then we did that. We did the. We ended up doing the Forty Eight Hour Film Festival for six years running. Um, uh, the fourth year that we did it. Um, so you you make your film, you submit it, and then the next week um, you have forty eight hours to write, shoot, edit, and submit your film. And then the following weekend they screen the films, um, and they usually break them up into like three screening groups. So we went to our screening group to watch our movie. Uh, and one of the, the fourth year, um, we were in our screening group and the other movie that was kind of funny, it was, it was really funny. Like the other, like one of the other standout movies from that group was, um, uh, done by the Richmond comedy coalition. And before that I had never heard of the Richmond comedy coalition. I was like, well, that was a funny movie. Who are those guys? Google them, saw the website, saw that they did improv shows, went to a show. And of course, as you well know, at every show they say, Hey, if this looks fun, you should take classes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I'm enough of a ham that I was like, yeah, all right, I'll take classes. Um, and uh, yeah, that's, was this pre-theater? Were you taking classes at Art Six or the place and carry? Oh home? yeah, no. This was uh, like like Serpa said. Um, I was of the Serpa generation. Um, all of my I never took a class at the theater. We got cast as the theater was opening. Oh, interesting. Yeah, the Johnsons and Da Vinci were um, assembled as the theater was opening. The physical space. It was like super exciting. Like the yeah. te- the the theater was expanding from two teams to four, and they were getting a permanent physical space. Um, uh, all these things that we um, uh, never could have imagined. But um, uh, yeah, it was it was super fun. How do you feel, Scott? I don't know. We might have we might you might have the record. I'm not sure. <laughs> the record's two hours and fifty six minutes. Uh, I mean, I feel good. I mean, there's like uh, you know a million things I can say to you, but I still I feel like I've said plenty plenty of things. Oh, we've said a lot of things. Yeah. Was there anything we didn't get to that you explicitly wanted to? Uh, the only thing I was going to say is um, if you don't know about Ricky J, Ricky J passed away um, this past weekend. Um, and he's incredible. He's another one of my guys. Um, so if you're not familiar with Ricky J, check out Ricky J. What, what, what is Ricky J involved in? Uh, he's a magician. Ooh, I love him already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, incredible. Um, uh, what distinguishes him is, um, he's an incredible, uh, historian of magic. Um, he's written a ton of books, um, um, but he's a, he's just a, he's a, he's a true, um, he's both a true performer and a true craftsman, like a guy that's like, you know, um, he's just really doing it because he has this like really pure vision of what magic is and what it should be. Um, and has always held himself to that. Um, if you have Amazon prime, um, uh, on Amazon's video service right now, there's a documentary about him called Deceptive Practices um, that is very good. Or even just on YouTube is one of his shows directed by David Mamet. If you need another reason to check this out, David mm-hmm. Mamet directed his Broadway show called Ricky J and his 52 Assistants. Just a like a really uh, fascinating, intriguing human being um, who did some fantastic performances. So um, uh, just like uh, because it's this particular moment in time, and and um, he's um, influential to me in a lot of ways. If you don't know about Ricky J, please check him out. Ricky J. Absolutely. All right, cool. Well, the last thing that you have to do is say goodbye to everybody. All right. Goodbye, everybody. 
Am I a fire?